From episode one of this show, I promised to be real, honest, and unfiltered. Since then, we've talked with directors, actors, cinematographers, the guys who build monsters, the people who design video games, and I've taken you across the United States, gave you an inside look into what it takes to pack up your life and chase your dreams. Each and every one of these episodes always comes back to the same point. This shit takes time. You gotta be patient, and you gotta find the joy in the process. And you gotta be ready to strike when opportunity knocks. This episode is a special one. It's our 50th. That's 50 episodes. Now, I know that's not a big number when you look at other podcasts, but for me, that's a big number. This started as sort of like a part-time fun thing for me, Um, and then it's just grown bigger and bigger with every episode that we've done. And I can't believe that it's been 50 episodes so far. And I can't believe that we finally come to the end. That's right. This is it. The last episode. No more. I've got nothing left to say. I mean, now that I've moved out here to Los Angeles, and now that I have access to amazing creatives and directors and actors and chefs and all that, well, I'm just going to keep them all to myself. (laughs) That's it. No more sharing. I mean, I know you've invested time with me. I know that you've spent time following my Instagram, and I know that you've uh, put the time in on the show, and you've told your friends about the show, and you've really fallen in love with this podcast. You guys can all go fuck yourselves. No, obviously I'm giving you shit. I am not ending the show. The show is going to become bigger and better. This 50th episode marks a whole brand new part, or a whole new brand new chapter, rather, in the In Love With The Process podcast. Um, So I'm super excited that everybody's here, and if you haven't guessed already, you are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? What's new? What's happening? I hope that you guys are as excited as I am about this new season. Let's call it a new season. Fuck it, right? Let's make it into something interesting. Um, So, yeah, I got a bunch of shit lined up. I got a bunch of guests that uh, literally next week, Monday through fucking Friday, I'm doing podcasts. I am recording five new episodes, plus I think I'm guesting on two other shows. Um, So it's going to be pretty crazy. And I can't, or I couldn't have got here without you guys, uh, which is really cool. Like, I thought in the beginning when I was doing these shows that it was just going to be something for me and a couple people that wanted to listen. I mean, to be 100% honest with you, I was making these shows for uh, my fans and for uh, the people that I worked for, just so that they knew what I was up to. And it just seemed like a good way to fill my time while I had to sit around and wait fucking forever for one of the features to get made. Um, But you guys have really liked it. I mean, we have fans and listeners in Australia. We have fans and listeners in the UK. Uh, We have people that listen to this show all over the world, um, which is fucking mind-blowing to me because all it is is a bad-mouthed piece of shit dude out here in Boston giving you guys advice. And what the fuck do I know, right? Hold on while I... And and this is my favorite part of the show is that I break all broadcast rules and I drink water. (sighs) We eat, we eat sandwiches on this show. It's great. 
I basically want to make you guys envious of the fact that you're not sitting here and enjoying this beautiful Sunday California morning with me and my frosty cup of ice water, mm. nursing a hangover from a night of networking. Oh my God. Hanging out with Gina and a couple of uh, pretty amazing makeup artists and designers last night. Uh, we had a good time. And in the background, if you listen uh, carefully, you can hear Gina being incredibly rude and packing up her metal uh, laundry rack while I'm recording the intro for this episode. There she is, opening the closet door, going inside. She smiles, she tries to look cute, but she knows that I'm recording right here. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just fucking with you. I told you guys that the show was going to get bigger and better. You guys helped us get across the country by supporting us, by buying props and DVDs and, and uh, helping me get rid of all my shit. Um, and thankfully, you guys did so because uh, I'm able to survive for a few months without work. And that is the truth of it, right? Because when you make a big move like this, you got to go back to the game. You got to go back to the well. You got to go back into networking and try to find new people to work with. You got to go back to proving to folks that uh, you know what the fuck you're doing, right? Mm. What's going on back here now? You're putting on some yoga pants? Sounds like you're slapping a pig. That's what that sounds like on the microphones here. Uh, so, so 50 episodes. Super excited. And I want to just say this. Thank you guys for continually supporting the show um, and by going to the Instagram accounts because it's really hard to show sponsors um, how many people listen to the show. I could show demographics. I could try to show plays. Um, I know I get a bunch of that stuff from uh, SoundCloud, and I'm kind of still a moron, so I'm trying to figure out how to get those demos from the other, the other players that are out there. But the best way to show people that you guys give a shit is go to my Instagram account, at Mike Petchy on Instagram, or go to the uh, podcast account that's in love with the process, P-O-D, on Instagram, and not P-O-D, the band from the, the shitty band from the uh, 2000, that's P-O-D, pod, in love with the process, pod. That's a really bad joke, you dickhead. Uh, so yeah so 50th right what do you have in store for us on the 50th Mike you just did a sit here and jab your jaw and talk about shit or are you going to have a guest on the show well I'm going to have a guest on the show guys and I've already recorded it so I already know how fucking cool it is Uh, on this episode of the podcast special guest actress Maggie Budzina I said it right Maggie I learned how to say your name. Maggie is uh, an amazing, uh, she started as a child actor. Uh, She's now an amazing actress. She stars in uh, Who's There. So if you guys have seen the trailer for Who's There, the amazing uh, babysitter that's on the couch uh, with that really frightening look, the one that sort of looks into the purple haze, that's Maggie. She's amazing. And she's been in a bunch of new movies. Uh, She's progressed. She's a director now. I mean, this fucking kid's 17 years old and she's directing. She's on her fourth short film. So those of you who are in your fucking 40s sitting at home listening to this shit, get it together. 17 years old, man. Um, mm. So I was able to convince her to be on the show, which is super cool. She is 
technically my first guest for California. I mean, Lance was on the LA episode, but Lance doesn't count. You don't count, Lance. Um, so it's a good one. We talk and, and gab on for quite some time. Um, and then I know that you guys are like, well, Mike, we haven't seen fucking 12 cam. Uh, not 12 cam. If you wanted to see 12 cam, you just got to write to me online and tell me your three favorite horror movies. And uh, if I agree with you, then I can send you a private link to see 12 cam. But what I was saying is that you guys are like, Mike, I haven't seen who's there. Well, of course you haven't because I haven't fucking released it yet. And here's what I'm thinking about doing. I think what I'm going to do is a very simple, small, special release of it, private release, that you guys are going to have to write to me and ask to see, um, but I'm also going to package that together with a podcast that only those people can listen to, uh, in which I'll put on a bunch of extra footage from uh, everybody that's worked on the movie, so that way you guys get some insight, because Who's There's a Pitch Film, which is short little short movie. It's probably 12 minute running time or something like that. So I got to offer you guys something more. So we'll give you your own little podcast that you can listen to that nobody else can listen to. It'll be your fucking thing. Um, and that's my thank you to you. Um, that's my thank you to the fans that give a shit. There are those of you that listen to the show that probably don't give a shit. That's fine. Keep listening to the show. Tell your friends about it. Maybe your friends will give a shit, which is great. Um, so yeah. That's kind of what's up. I can sit here and I can gab with you guys. I just, I'm just happy, man. 50 fucking episodes. And I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a fucking lot, dude. Like, these episodes are what? About an hour and 40 minutes a pop? Think about how long I've been talking to you for. And think about how long it takes to fucking book these people. And to do the post-production and do all that kind of shit. It's a big deal. I'm, I'm proud of myself. You guys should be proud of me, too. Um... All right, enough fucking blabbing. Uh, so you know the deal. Let's see, what is today? Today's really nice here. It's like, mm, it's probably like low 70s. There's a breeze outside. Blue, sunny skies. It's really nice today. If I were you, it's Sunday. What time are we at? Eh, it's about noon. I think I'd go grab a nice cold beer. Get my noise-canceling headphones so you can't hear your girlfriend doing the shit around the apartment. And uh, go on the front porch. Pour yourself a beer. Maybe you get a bowl of pretzels. Maybe you get some leftover cold ribs that you're going to chew on like a fucking dog. I'd do that. And then throw on those noise-canceling headphones. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the new episode of In Love With The Process. 50th episode of In Love With The Process. No big deal. Maggie, how are you? Thanks hey, for being Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. I'm excited because as I reach for my pink lemonade, 
Uh, I'm excited that this is our 50th episode. You are our 50th, well, maybe not our 50th guest, but you are on the 50th show. That is crazy. I know. I had no idea. I'm very honored. It's a big benchmark. And it, I thought it was like a cool way to get going. Now being out here in Los Angeles, the show becoming more of an LA podcast. Yeah. Now. An and official now we can LA get thing. some actors on the show. Oh, yeah. We get celebrities on the show now. Totally. You're in the right place for it. Everyone loves a good podcast. So <laughs> the, that's very true. As I lean, my table is so far away that there's going to be a lot of. Lean. I know you didn't. We didn't plan the logistics <laughs> of that very well. <laughs> so, um, for those of you listening, Maggie's an actress, and I met you doing "Who's There," the movie that no one has seen. Yes. yes. Oh yeah, no one has seen no it. Has seen I've it. seen it, but yeah. no one else has seen it. No one else has seen it. Um, and I met Maggie, I was doing a casting session in Boston and Boston's got a very small pool of, of actresses mm, mm-hmm. and of actresses of the age range that I was looking for. Yeah. It's pretty niche. Very niche. Cause we were casting for a young babysitter mm-hmm. essentially. And whenever as a director being in that marketplace, whenever I'm casting like really niche parts, it's very nerve wracking. It, yeah, it really. I is. can imagine. It really is because you're sitting there going, "I don't know who I'm going to get." So then you're what I've learned to do is keep my mm, my outlook very broad because mm. I'm just like I can't be real picky. I can't come in here and go. Has I need to be like open to ideas of who the character exactly, could be. Exactly. It's like, can they remember their lines? Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> and so have them call. Yeah, back. you can't call have them. the specific like blonde brunette like no, no. criteria, or you're screwed in Boston. <laughs> no, not at all. And so I was working with um, uh, Slate casting. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was Aaron over at Slate. He's awesome. And uh, he was doing me a solid by doing the casting session. And, and I think I only saw maybe four, five girls. That's small. It was really small. I had no idea it was that it small. It was really small. And um, we saw a couple, and there was this one girl that I thought was pretty good. And she, she was completely the different demographic than I thought. But I'm like, okay, she's the best out of the bunch. And Aaron kept saying that he wanted me to wait for you because I think. I think you were coming late. You had something else happening. Yeah, I forget what I had, but I definitely was coming late from something. Yeah, and he's like, can you wait around? Because he kept being like, can you wait around? Can you wait around? And I was like, sure, whatever, you know. Um, and then I remember you coming in. And it was a it was a really strange casting session. And I, I want to get into all this stuff, but I'm mm. just giving a bit of context. It was a really strange casting session because there really isn't that much from lines for this character. No, it was really much more of an intention than than the dialogue itself. So then, what do you do in a casting session? Right, and that's that's the difficult. <laughs> that's like really that's the, the difficult million thing. dollar question. Yeah, and on both ends, it's complicated. So it's complicated for you, but I learned this doing commercials for a long time that when you're doing an ad, it's usually like, "Hey, pick up this lemonade." Hold this lemonade. Look like this lemonade changes your fucking life, <laughs> you know. And then, as a director, you get hired, and there's a whole you know group of creatives there that are like waiting for this director magic, and right. they're just like, "How are you gonna find the perfect fucking lemonade drinker?" You yeah, know? and you're, and you're <laughs> who like, drinks it just the right way? <laughs> and you're like, uh, "Hire a casting company." <laughs> like it's, it's that kind of thing. And then when you get into the casting sessions. Early on, I would just show up and I'm like, cool, you know, I'm bringing the people. And they're like, what, what, what do you want them to do? And that was the question that the casting agent would ask. Mm. It's like, what are they going to do? And how, how do we pick? Because she's literally, right yeah, what do you want them, just drinking lemonade and shit like that? Like, what do you, what do you want? And it's like, 
oh fuck. And so um, it was the same scenario with what we were doing. And I, I can't remember the specifics, but I think we wanted you to get emotional. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you blew me away <laughs> with how what, with what a great liar you are. <laughs> Called out. <laughs> Called out on air. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just walked in and then just turned it on. And it was so quick and it was great. Um, and I remember watching it. A little bit of flattery is coming your way. But I, I remember watching it. Um, and sitting there going, oh, shit, if you're good like this, then everybody's going to come up. And so there was, it was like a big, the casting of you in this piece really changed the scale of how people were, which Thank is great. Thank you. So it was a really... That's very sweet. I remember Jean, who was in it. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Jean was saying the same thing. Jean was just like, once you, once you got Maggie, everything like really oh. changed and the room changed. So... Figured That's I would so let you sweet. know. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a blast. The the cat, like you said, the casting for that was so crazy because where do you like what do you do? You know, it's really just that one moment. Um, but I am I am a a good liar, I guess. <laughs> I know my poor brother growing up, like I I definitely have a lot of emotional accessibility and can cry pretty easily (laughs) so i definitely used it to my advantage once or Mm -hmm. twice (laughs) see i'm the oldest so i'm an older brother i've got two younger sisters and a younger Mm. brother and so when i saw that i was just like "Mm -hmm." (laughs) you were like oh Mm -hmm." how many times did the older brother get in trouble (laughs) yeah exactly how many times did you get what you wanted so many times i could tell immediately (laughs) and it also fit the role so it was like okay (laughs) a win-win um so yeah, pumped to have you on the show. I think what I'd love to do is talk about a bunch of different things with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I want to talk about acting and life of actor and like what your day to day is like. Yeah. But I, I want to get into sort of like origin stories on you. So when totally. did you when did you start? When did you start acting? So I started acting really young. Um, my parents met doing summer theater. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, they met doing theater like right out of college. And so when I was born, I like grew up in the theater. My dad's a theater director, um, back in Boston in the Newburyport area specifically. And so I spent my whole childhood just at rehearsals and watching shows. Um, so when I was four, I started doing musicals. So I was Molly and Annie. That was my big (laughs) takeoff role (laughs) at a community theater. Um, and I loved it. I was super into musicals growing up. Um, but had a strong aversion to film and television. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, because I think my brother was a huge influence on me growing up. And and I think because I came from like a theater family, mm-hmm. there was this idea that like theater actors like rough it out and they're like the real like actors in New York. And so my plan was always that I would uh, go to school for musical theater and be on Broadway and that would be like my thing. Um, that was the dream. So when I was nine, I started doing theater at, do you know, North Shore Music Theater? I've heard of. So yeah, it's in the East Coast, Boston area, um, and the Gunkwit Playhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so my whole childhood, like I would say age nine through 13, I missed, I would say three months of school a year to do theater all over sort of the Boston area. Um, and I loved it. Uh, but then things really changed for me. Uh, when I think it had to have been my freshman year of high school, I took 
a class through Boston Casting that was like an intro to film class. And I just sort of took it on a whim and I was obsessed. Like after the first class, I was like, oh shit, I really <laughs> like this. Um, so that sort of just changed the trajectory of, of everything. Um, and I was able to sign with uh, AWA in Boston, which is a, a Boston agency specifically. Um, and I went out on an audition for this film um, when I just signed with them like a week into it uh, called American Woman, oh. which uh, Jake Scott was directing um, in Boston at the time. Um, and I went in and I auditioned and I got a call back and um, I ended up getting the part. And initially I was playing Colleen, who is the Christina Hendricks son's girlfriend in the movie. And um, initially I was scheduled to shoot two days, um, but they liked me and they brought me back to shoot five. Um, and being on that set like changed my life. Um, well, I mean, that's a scot-free set. That's, yeah, that's, exactly. It's yeah. scot-free and, it's, it's and huge. working next to Aaron Paul and Sienna Miller and Christina Hendricks and Amy Madigan and all these like pros mm -hmm. um, and sort of seeing the way they work and their process uh, just sort of opened my eyes up to what could be. Um, and I was having a conversation with Aaron Paul um, in between takes about how he moved out to LA when he was 17 and I was 16 at the time. Um, and he was just sort of encouraging me and, and talking about what his experience was like. Um, and then I think that was when I decided like, I'm going to someday, I'm going to someday soon, hopefully I'm going to go to LA and, and do the, the acting thing there. Now, did you do that before or after you worked with me? That was before, right? That was, yeah, I did that. That was before. So that was like the May before. Yeah, which was ironic because I, I, I don't talk about it on the show. I don't care anymore. Uh, it was ironic because uh, with my other film, 12KM, mm. we're, we were talking to Scott Free with that. That's right. I and remember then, that. And I think Pruss, who's the uh, producer that we're with, was on your shoot. I think yes. he was on that yeah, shoot. Yeah, yeah, well. he was. Um, yeah, I remember when we uh, Skyped for that callback, um, mm -hmm. you had mentioned that. And I was like, that's so crazy that the one film <laughs> I've worked on ever, really, yeah. um, the one feature film, is has such a strong connection to the work you're doing. It was wild because then we were doing... Uh, who's there was essentially something that I was doing in the interim. Mm -hmm. So I had come out here and I had done like a bunch of uh, exec meetings and and, um, right. and pitch meetings to get uh, home for 12cam. And I met with like a bunch of different um, production companies that I would love to work with. Right. And essentially I was like, what kind of movies are you guys looking for? Mm -hmm. And when I had a conversation with them on like what they were out there looking for, what they were hunting for, the kind of material, then I came back and met with Will the writer and I'm like, dude, what if we, what if we come up with something that fits that, that. fits? And if it, if we can't come up with something we, that we like, then fuck it. But right. like, what if but we at just least try? Yeah. What if we just try? And, uh, within that is where we came up with the who's there thing. Ah, oh, got it. Okay. And, and then cool. in that amount of time that it takes for execs or for producers to read a script and decide what it is they're going to fucking do. We literally produced shot and edited whole piece so that's that crazy when i was coming back out here to meet with people uh to go do further pitches with uh 12 cam and i met with my agent and my manager mm. i literally walked in the office and i was like Whoa. and i handed them who's there and they had no idea they had absolutely no idea. whoa yeah 
And so they were like, what the fuck is this? And yeah, like, they were like, what is this new film? Was like, <laughs> get on the phone. And that was what it was. It was like, get selling. And then uh, Will had written the first draft of the feature at that point. Mm. And uh, they were like, holy fuck, you got a feature script too? I'm like, yeah. You got like the whole thing the whole ready thing to go. The whole thing ready to go. And so we ended up going out and doing pitches that week for that movie mm. as well. So it was like a pretty wild sort of roller coaster. Yeah, of, that's insane. Of dual pitching. Um, but that yeah, it's been so nuts. Crazy. It's been nuts. And I got a lot of cool updates on it, which I'm not going to talk about on air. I know you guys yeah, want to hear I about it. Yeah, I want to hear the updates. <laughs> I know all the people listening right now are like, you suck, Mike. <laughs> Seriously. I, that's how I like to do every one of my Turning shows. Turning the podcast off right now. <laughs> I like it when my audience hates my guts. That's pretty much the That's always the goal, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, so let, let's get back into uh, that origin story stuff. So you, you started acting when you were really young. That's mm. so weird to me. Like, I can't remember what I liked or what I didn't like when I was four years old. Do you actually physically remember that stuff? I remember, yeah. I mean, I don't have a ton of memories from when I was like four per se, but I do remember being four and like, and I was playing Molly in Annie and I remember like that I was adamant that I needed to learn all of Annie's lines in case she got <laughs> sick. Like I like had self-appointed that like I was the understudy, which never would have happened ever. I mean, no capability to actually do that at all. Um, but I remember just like how seriously I took it and how much I loved it um, and how much just like passion I had for it uh, from such a young age to the point where all my best friends to date are people that I did theater with from the time I was seven years old. It makes sense, especially if both your parents are in that. It's like right. It's like deciding that you're going to work in a kitchen because your parents are chefs and you grew up in a restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's like working at the family business, per se. I yeah. mean, my mom runs a, a kid's acting studio in our hometown, and from the time I was 10, I would be like an acting teaching assistant. So it was just always something that was a huge part of like my identity. It makes sense. I ask these questions because it's always a strange thing from my perspective. Whenever I cast for kids... Mm. It always feels weird, really weird. Yeah. Right. Yes. And, and then like, yes. <laughs> I've told this story and I'll tell this, I don't know if I've told it on the podcast, um, but I was doing a casting session back in Boston and I won't name any companies that we, I was working with. I was doing a casting session back in Boston and I remember uh, walking down a hallway where the, all these kids were there and just listening to how the different parents were reacting or interacting with these kids. kids. And I remember I walked by the bathroom, and there was a bathroom at the end of the hall, and this door opens, and there's this kid, young kid, I don't know how old, but really young kid in suspenders, really cute kid, and he's got water all over the front of his outfit, and he's standing there, and he's crying, and he's looking at me like, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, and he's having like this hyperventilating oh, kind of thing, and I'm just like, who the fuck would do this to kids? Yeah, it's a baby, it's a baby! <laughs> So like, whenever I do it, I'm happy that, that that child actors exist because you need kids. Right, you need them. You need yeah. them. But like, I'm always I'm always looking at the parents whenever I'm doing a casting session, and I'm just like, well, you can always tell if it comes if if the motivation comes from the kids or the parents. Uh -huh. You know, like I. And I never got into the the film and television industry as a kid, which I'm pretty grateful for, only because I think it's tougher. Like, I think theater, as a kid, in theater, I found community. Mm -hmm. And I found, like, a home. And I found, like, so many, like, older 
brother and sister figures and family figures. Um, but I don't think the film industry is that way as a kid actor. It's no. much more isolating. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that, that my career did not go that way, uh, at a young age. Um, but I've actually directed, uh, two shorts that have, have dealt with minors. Um, and the last one actually we had, our youngest was two oh and our God. oldest was seven. It was two, five and seven. Oh my God. Um, and we ended up working with a real family, which was my, my preference in casting it. Um, but I swear half the process is screening the parents Yeah. because you want to, you know, you want to make sure that the kids really want to be there and that it's something that they love to do and that the parents are just normal parents who aren't, you know, looking to get their kids famous. They're just looking, you know, they have a kid who loves to do this and they're being supportive and, and supporting that dream. Um, so I got really lucky in the family I found where they were this amazing family. Um, but I do think it's something you have to be incredibly wary of um, yeah. when working with kids. Yeah, because in the commercial world, I mean, I've never done theater. And I assume that if you do theater, maybe you make a stipend. But you guys don't make a lot of money when you're in theater. If anything, yeah. yeah. It, especially as a kid. I mean, um, I sometimes I would, sometimes I wouldn't. But there's not yeah. much money in it. Yeah, so that's the difference with commercials. So, like, I did an ad where where the clients, of course, ask for shit. And you're like, how the fuck do you do this? Uh, they wanted um, a commercial where you watch a little girl riding a bike actually age and become yes. a teenager, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, okay, so we don't have Benjamin Button fucking budget here. So, right. and they're like, well, we don't know how to do it. And it's like, well, let's see if we can find. And the producer I was working with, great producer, um, Eric, and he was like, let's see if we can find a family. Yeah. And so we were trying to cast. Straight, like straight up family, and I'm like, this is gonna be hard. Holy shit, it wasn't. They were just like, it, it felt yeah. like it felt like a breeding ground where like the parents were like, okay, so here is every age range with a, a one year gap between. And right. It's just like, what the fuck are you doing? It's crazy. It's it's nuts. And and they and then with some of these parents, you can just see them being like, okay, so it's a thousand dollars for her, it's a thousand dollars for her. You know what I mean? And they're just racking right. that cash in there. Yeah. And when you see that in the room, it's just disgusting. And you're yeah. just like, oh my God, I don't want to, I don't want to work. I don't want to be on set with you. No. It's and such an unattractive quality, especially like it's sad for the kids too. Yep. Yeah. And the, because of the stress that the parents are putting on their kids, because they're just like, you got to do this because of the money and we need this money. Right. And, and you can see that. And I mean, now thankfully there are laws. I know I started acting when I was under 18 and yep. you have to like a certain amount has to go into like a protected trust. And so now there are laws in place mm. that sort of help protect from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that parents aren't like blindly robbing their children. You can still take certain amounts out for like quote unquote expenses. Of course. So I think, you know, that's sort of a loophole. Um, but there are ways that they protect or attempt to protect kids, hmm. which, which is good because yeah. It's such a corrupt sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's our business in general. It's always, you're always asking like, what are your reasons for doing it? And besides navigating the egos and besides navigating the fucking gross shit, um, Mm. you do come to really talented people and you do find people that are in for the right reasons. And um, I had a great time working with you and I've worked with one or two other young actors that have been amazing. And actually, I've found that young talent is actually more professional than most adults are, believe it or not. That's so interesting. It's it's very interesting to see 
Um, I, I don't know what it is. I think it's just because the, the, the ego isn't that big yet. And there's this sort of focus on like, the here's work. what my task is. And this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. And they're not ashamed to ask questions and, and play and do the like, take there, risks. There isn't any of that, which yeah. is interesting. Which um, I'm sure you used to. So, okay, so this is interesting too, because then I heard that you were directing. I was like, "What the fuck, Maggie's just <laughs> all over the place." So you've been how, you've done what three shorts at this point? Yeah, so I'm in post for my fourth right now. Nice. Um, and then I'm in pre-production um, for my first one that will be uh, with like a whole professional adult crew. So basically. Um, my first narrative short was my third uh, overall short. And um, right now that's playing festivals. So actually this weekend it's at the All-American High School Film Festival and we're nominated for the Teen Indie Awards, which is pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Um, so because I was 17, 18 uh, when I was making these, um, I actually assembled a crew that was all 18 and under. So cool. uh, I worked with this incredible DP who was 15 years old. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Ridiculous and ridiculously talented. Um, my sound engineer was like 13. Our PA was 11. <laughs> like a huge, ridiculous spectrum of, of ages. But... Um, but it was a really amazing experience and, and really professional kids. Uh, but I'm excited for this next one because it is going to be a bit of a departure in terms of working with, you know, there's a difference between working with a 13-year-old sound guy and a 30-year-old sound guy. Both are great, but very different experiences. That's awesome. That's one of the reasons why I had a beard for so long, like even as a young guy. Because I, I swear to God, I started directing when i was in my my low 20s and i knew because before that i used to work on construction crews i was like a house painter and all that stuff and there's a lot of that same mentality that goes from working on crews onto film sets it's mm. pretty much like uh i want to say it's it's very much like a blue collar kind of thing especially with crews yeah and it, it's great um but i also know that there's a lot of i don't want to say it's not hazing but there's a lot of like Especially on the East Coast, there's a lot of like <laughs> East Coast people are just like that in general. There's a I lot mean. of there's a lot of not bullying either, but there's a lot of like you know tough love. Tough love is a good yeah. way to put it. And so I knew early on, but when I was younger, clean faced little dude telling a forty mm, year old sound guy do. what to do. Nope. And so I started growing beards pretty quick. And it's funny how if you grow a beard instantly, they're like, "Well, this guy." <laughs> They're like, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, he's got some. He's, he's got, got a beard. Some, he's got some experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, he's been around the block. <laughs> exactly. He grew a beard out. So I don't know. I wish I could just say grow a beard. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. I just show up to set with a mustache and like my hair curled. And the, the, you'll have all the four-year-olds going, it's 2019, man. It's 2019. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going oh on. Oh, my God. Um, but that's rad that you can do it. I mean, are you nervous or... I'm not super nervous. I'm pretty excited because I think at this point, um, you know, I've done, I've shot two shorts with a crew of, of 15 people. So, you know, now it is with people who are older. But for me, I've always felt a lot older than my age. And I, um, you know, I started directing plays when I was 11. And so I've, I've worked with people older than my age in a directing uh, mm -hmm. space before. Um, and generally like what I found is if you have a clear vision mm -hmm. and you're a professional and you know what you want and you know how to execute it, people get behind you. It doesn't matter how old you are. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, you know, I've had a lot of people that, you know, I'll meet them on the phone or we'll have a phone meeting or something. And then like they realize how old I am and they're like, wait, what? (laughs) And I'm like, oh yeah, no, full disclosure. I'm, I just turned 19. Um, but, but I feel like, you know, ultimately people want to be a a part of a project that, that they believe is going to be successful and, and has a strong vision. And, that's attainable at, at any age. And especially nowadays, I mean, you have people like uh, this kid, Philip Humans. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he just, his feature just went to Tribeca. He made it in high school. Oh my God. And he's 19 now. Um, and Ava DuVernay's production company uh, or distribution company just picked it up. So people are starting younger and younger in sort of this media age. Um, so, you know, I feel like if you, if you have, I, I wrote, I write the stuff that I direct as well. And I feel like if you have a great script and you have a super clear vision and a a strategy, people are kind of excited to get behind Mm -hmm. young energy like that. Mm -hmm. And I think with this, with this, this media age, as you say, um, you can learn anything quickly. Yeah. I think that's the big difference. When I started you know, being an old dude now. When I started uh, <laughs> back in the day, <laughs> yeah, back in back in the day before the internet, um, it was, you know, you'd either have to read books, or you'd have to go to a school, or you'd mm. try to have to figure these things out, and a lot of the equipment wasn't as accessible, wasn't as affordable, right? So it it, it makes sense. It makes sense that you're able to learn this shit. Quicker. Oh yeah, it's so much easier. I mean, my mom always laughs because I'm calling her. I called her about my last short film, like six months ago, we were talking on the phone and I was like, yeah, I just feel like it really needs to be shot anamorphic because it just like for this project, it just makes sense. And like, I was going off about how much I love anamorphic lenses and she was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but it's true. I mean, now you have like all these sites, like you can literally Google anamorphic lenses and go down like a, a weekend long rabbit hole and mm-hmm. learn like everything there is to know about them. Um, and especially I think moving to LA has been such a great resource for me because there are organizations like Film Independent where like two weekends ago I went to a, a three-day seminar on marketing and distributing your film. Wow. Um, and you can just do things like that um, and sort of not have to attend a formal like quote-unquote film school. Right. Um, but still get that same education, which is really cool. Yeah, totally. Interesting. So what do you, uh, why do you like anamorphics? I, uh, okay. See, now I'm putting you on the spot. For, okay, first of all, um, I mean, listen, I know the lens flare is superficial, but come on. <laughs> first of all, first of all, first of all, did you shoot anamorphic for who's there? Uh-huh. I knew it. Okay. Because I had no idea at the time we were filming. I knew nothing. Uh-huh. And then I was watching it back and I was like, this looks like anamorphic. Uh-huh. And I actually was with my DP for my last film at the time. And I was like, Aiden, does this look like anamorphic? And he was like, oh yeah, for sure, that's anamorphic. <laughs> um, and But I also, I like the way that anamorphic um, lends itself to storytelling mm-hmm. because the way that the frame is set up, um, I mean, even, well, I can't say, people haven't seen who's there, but there are shots of who's there that I think is are good examples of it where you can have something uh, going on in like the quote unquote foreground. Um, but you can also have things going on in the back. And, and I think it really sort of opens your eyes up to like how big of a frame you have, how much of a frame you have and how you can utilize that to be t- like 
telling more parts of the story at once. Mm -hmm. So in any given moment, you know, even if it's just focused mainly on one character, having things in the background that are helping to influence the story. Have you ever watched, um, have you ever gone back and watched like old, you know, Toho Studios, you know who Toho Studios is? I don't think so. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to, I'm going to bestow, <laughs> some, bestow some, some knowledge. <laughs> some knowledge. Um, Toho Studios is a Japanese uh, studio company and they're famously known for doing stuff like the old Godzilla movies, but they're mm. also known for doing Kurosawa, old Kurosawa. You know who Kurosawa is? I okay. Don't. This is good stuff. This, this will give you an <laughs> Awesome. Um, See, this is the free film school I'm talking about. <laughs> this is exactly it. <laughs> Why would I pay for a degree? I'm right here in your house. So, so uh, Star Wars, Lucas was very much inspired, and so was old Spielberg, uh, inspired mm-hmm. by Kurosawa. And Kurosawa made movies like The Seven Samurai, uh, which uh, then inspired like all the westerns, like The Magnificent Seven and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So he is one of the origina- originators of it. And what he was so well known for was working and telling a story with the frame. 100%. 100%. And his blocking is genius. I can give you movies to watch and you'll really love Give the me blocking. all the movies. And the thing that he did with Anamorphic that's really great, and the reason why I like to do Anamorphic, mm. is Anamorphic, like you were saying, it, it widens your stage. Yeah. So like so the much. stage gets wider. So I can do close-ups with two people. Oh, yeah. I can do, um, I could do medium shots with three people. And then the thing that was really interesting about what the old Toho Studios would do, they would do shots where they would leave the camera stationary. The camera never moved. And then they would just work within blocking. So you'd have three people that would enter a room. Door would open, three people would enter the room. First person who was having a dramatic moment would walk close to the camera. Mm. So they'd be close to the camera and they'd be looking right off. Coverage. And they'd be looking right off camera. Yeah. And then another person would be like, what's your problem? And then they'd walk into a two. Oh. And then someone else would enter the room and they'd go into a wide. And then that person would get his close up. And it That's was. That's so brilliant. And it would never it's cut. It's not cutting. Yeah. It's like a one shot, but it's like a way of cheating the one shot. Exactly. And so then if you look at like how Spielberg does it, Spielberg introduced motion into that. So mm. he started to move the camera. So not only was he doing the same thing with people with walking blocking. and blocking, but he would also move the camera to assist the blocking simultaneously so he'd shift the background so like if you go back and watch um close encounters have you ever mm-hmm. seen close encounters yeah, yeah yeah i've talked about this before one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when they find that uh bunch of abandoned airplanes mm. in mexico and literally you watch that sequence without thinking about it and you're like this is fucking engrossing i'm going from like wide shots to close-ups to airplanes to all this stuff he literally just had a camera on a straight track and all he did was run up and down that straight track, like once or twice. What? And depending upon how the characters crossed the track, where they landed, everything else, it was all on the same lens. Oh my God. All on one track. That is so brilliant. See, I think that's, I love those examples of filmmaking where shot, uh, movies are shot with like incredibly long one shots and with, um, specifically with, like one or two lenses for like the entirety of the movie mm-hmm. uh, because that takes such a high level of skill. Well, it, you know what it is too? And as you learn, I'm still learning. So like as you learn to go through this process, you're developing what I like to call a toolkit. And I, I've said this on the show before. Mm. I think that actors have a toolkit. 
And when I cast, I actually am casting to see what's in your toolkit. Because there's multiple times where I won't know what the fuck you're going to do. I don't, I don't have the answers for you. <laughs> like in the script, it may say like, teenage girl has a fight with her mom, comes in the room and she reacts. I'm like, I have absolutely no idea. Like how, what's what going what's, what's to happen for that. And so a lot of actors will have their toolkit and it's their go-tos. Mm, yes. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And you yeah. see this a lot on TV where you'll see an actor just like, can I get a pair of glasses? And he does his fucking glasses move and it's distilled all the way down to that where you're just like, A specific, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so then you're trying to figure out, you know, when you're in that casting session, do you like what's in that person's toolkit? Now, the same thing happens with DPs Mm. and the same thing happens with directors. And it's interesting that toolkit, you're slowly building that with experience. So you spend, you know, how many months in the edit room? And you learn in the edit room. You sit there and you go, fuck, everything I had planned doesn't work. I'm staring Mm. at this bin full of clips. I don't like it. I don't (laughs) like it. And I wish I had coverage here. And I wish. And so then you're then you're just putting those away. And remembering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you show up into your space. Or if I'm working with you and I'm working with an actress and they're just like, can I get this? Can I do this? And can, can you give me a little bit of this? And is it okay if I have a moment to do this? And then you're just like, okay, interesting. And seeing how they're interacting with the people in our space. Like Mm. Shay, when we did Who's There, um, Shay hadn't really done uh, a movie of that scale. She hadn't worked on a film with that Mm. big of a crew. And when I had originally cast her, I found her on Instagram. That's crazy. Yeah, I found her on Instagram because I really liked her look and I liked some of the stuff that she had done. And I was looking for that Hitchcockian lead and she had like that Hitchcock look. So I had cast her on that and... And that was before I cast you and before I had cast Jean, I think. I think I had her first. Mm. And so I was like, it's a small shoot, small set, but I'm very professional on my stuff. Yeah. And she was like, okay. But then you've been on my shoots where you, sh- you show up and there's like a fucking team of people. A ton of people. It's a yeah. lot of people. <laughs> like it's a big deal. And it's like a well-run, it's a well-run shoot. It is a machine, shoot. yes. And I remember, the, and unfortunately we gave her some of the heavy lifting on the first day. And, mm. and she was just like trying to find it, trying to figure out how to get there. And it took me a little while to realize that she was just dealing with all of this. Right. It's so overwhelming to yeah. be on a set of that size. It's got to be crazy. I mean, you were on the, what was it like being on the Scott Free set? Did you have any of those moments or? I, I feel like that was the perfect uh, first set to be on because my responsibilities were so low. Oh, okay. Like. If you see the movie, uh, I haven't seen na- it yet. It's now on um, on demand. <laughs> sure, the new will. and popular category. <laughs> um, plugging the film, <laughs> but you you will see. I am like in this movie barely. Um, so my responsibilities were like to to play this girlfriend character of which a role that I was very comfortable with, um, and. So there was definitely the first day that intimidation factor of like, oh my God, these are famous actors and mm-hmm. they're around me and they're watching me act um, or try to act. But I feel like that was the perfect introduction um, because it allowed me to sort of get used to all of those factors so that once I got on a set of that scale again, but had more, much more responsibility and had to emotionally produce at a really high level, I had already sort of adjusted to the hectic 
crazy Craziness, energy yeah. factor. Okay, gang, it's break time. I hope you guys are enjoying the episode so far. Uh, I had a blast talking to Maggie, and there's a lot more to get to. Um, But first, it's our 50th. I got to spend some time here. I got to show some love to the people who have continuously supported this show. Uh, Some old favorites that we know and love. Um, And here's the thing. I don't charge you for this show. Okay, so just do me a favor. Just click on any of the links for any of our um, sponsors for the show and you can find um, the clickable links on our Instagram pages, either my Instagram at Mike Petchy or at In Love The Process Pod up in the bio. If you click to listen to the show, you'll find links to our sponsors and just click through because they're keeping track of how many people are clicking through. It is the simplest and easiest way to say, hey, Mike, we appreciate 50 episodes. We'd love 50 more. And the only way I'm going to be able to do that is if these amazing people stick around and they keep putting a little bit of money in my wallet so that I can keep the show going. Because I don't know if you know this or not, this shit costs money to do, right? And the last thing I want to do is be reaching into my pocket and not be able to afford rent. So these guys are necessary these guys are friends um and they're really great folks so let's take a minute but before we get started i don't know if you've noticed but in the background we have been listening to new music on our 50th that's right i talked to my good buddy code electro who has been continuously supporting the show by allowing me to use the sounds from his albums to be the soundtrack of this show You guys love this music. I know you do. Multiple people have written to me and told me about it. Um, And what you're listening to today are sounds from Code Electro's brand new album, Nevermind the Solar Wind. Now, if you like it, listen to him. He's on Spotify. You can find him on different digital streaming outlets. But his albums and his album art are so fucking cool. Like, if you're into this, if you're into that whole new, like, new retro wave movement, it's not really new, Michael. Come on, you sound like a fucking old man. It's been around for a while, but I love the new retro wave sound because I'm a kid from the 80s. I grew up on Nightmare on Elm Street. I grew up on John Carpenter, and I know for a fact Code Electro did the same. Um, and I love the way his stuff sounds, and I love the art on all of his albums. And he has his albums up. If you go to CodeElectro.com, that's C-O-D-E Electro with a K, E-L-E-K-T-R-O.com, CodeElectro.com. I'll put a link below. Um, Go there and buy one of his vinyls. They're fucking awesome. I have one of his vinyls and it's so perfectly put together. And if uh, you're a nerd and you like to listen to music and you like to listen to the analog sounds of the needle running across the vinyl, go pick up one of his. Really cool. I just got to say to you right now, Code Electro, you're the man. I continue to appreciate you, and I love you, brother. Anyway, first up, the boys from Puget Systems. If you are a filmmaker, if you're a photographer, a music designer, if you're just someone that needs a new fucking computer, right, and you don't want to spend a fortune, you don't care about the unboxing experience, 
You want to put your money into the machine. You want your machine to run fast. You don't want any lag time. You want to be running 4K real time. You want to be running all of your different plugins and all your different stuff without a problem. Well, here's the thing. There isn't a one machine fits all. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're building a machine specific for After Effects, you can actually outfit that hardware in there for it to be a monster at After Effects. You can build yourself a Hot Rod Premiere machine and you can do this on a PC, right? Weird. You, if you were talking five years ago, four years ago, two years ago and saying, hey, I'm gonna do all my stuff on a PC, you'd be like, what the fuck? PCs crash all the time. I have such a big problem with PCs. How do I build a PC? How do I put it together? And is there customer support for this? Am I dealing with Dell? Like all these questions that were valid questions that are no longer valid questions because you've got places like Puget Systems that build custom PCs and they build these machines based upon what software you're gonna use. So it's very simple. You go to PugetSystems.com and I know that you can do pull down menus using the software and they'll give you a sort of a starter uh, machine, right? I'm doing a bad job of explaining that, but they'll give you sort of a starter machine. You can choose that. And then what they love to do, because they're a smaller company, they love to talk to their customers. So you can actually contact them directly, actually deal with a real person, guys, and tell them what it is that you do. Tell them what the machine's gonna be for. And they'll suggest to you Certain, piece of a hard, certain pieces of hardware, certain configurations that'll work best for you. And here's the cool thing about it, is that these guys spend hours and hours beta testing and benchmark testing all this hardware, which is a big thing. If you've ever tried to build a PC on your own, you know that you're trying to figure out what's the best graphics card and which one's gonna last me the longest and how does the combination of the graphics card work with this motherboard? It's really difficult techie shit and being someone that just wants to buy a machine and open it up and use it, that's the last thing you wanna think about. But let's say that you're someone that wants to build your own PC and you're looking for those resources. Puget Systems posts all their benchmark tests. So if you're building your own machine, they'll help you out. Pretty rad, right? Go to PugetSystems.com, check them out, build yourself a machine that is amazing with amazing customer support. That's right, customer fucking support someone on the phone that talks to you when you have a problem. They actually send it to you in a big old box. It isn't a special looking box, but it's a big old box that you keep on, you, you actually keep your hands on. If you have trouble with your machine, you can package it back into that box and ship it to them. And I know that they can check your stuff remotely. It's really rad stuff and I don't want to promise anything, but go check them out. Go talk to them about it and tell them that Mike sent you. And the best way to do so is to click the link in my bio on my Instagram account or on the In Love With The Process Pod Instagram account and do the click through there. I'll also have uh, sponsor links on inlovewiththeprocess.com. I'm going through the process of redesigning the website. There should be a new one soon. I'm not gonna put a date on it, but you'll also be able to click on it there. Use our click through links or just tell them the mic set you. Say, I listened to the show and he said you guys are great. Prove it. <laughs> they will, I promise you. All right, next up, always been a supporter of the show. I love these guys, Rule Broadcast Camera. If you're a filmmaker and you're like me, or if you're a young cinematographer and you're like, how the fuck do I keep up with the gear? Gear is constantly changing. There's a new camera on the market all the time. There's a new codec on the market, new set of lenses. 
and we live in this business where the clients actually read our trade magazines and they believe the bullshit in those trade magazines. They believe that if I buy the brand new camera and all I have to do is plug it in, turn it on, then I'll make Mad Max, right? Drives me crazy. Um, so I don't know how to keep up with that stuff. I don't want to be indebted to these companies at that point. If you buy a camera for what, like 60 grand, 20 grand, 30 grand, uh, how long does it take you to pay that thing off? And then half the time, these clients are asking you to throw it in for free. So you're not even making money to pay that thing off, right? Why do it? Buy yourself a camera that you can use at home that's affordable, that you can practice on, but make a relationship with your local rental company. It's important for you. And there are certain rental companies out there like Rule There are certain rental companies out there like Rule Broadcast Camera that uh, will actually train you on how to use the gear, which is really rad. You can get in there and you get your hands on a Movi. You can get in there and get your hands on like an Airy Mini. Uh, these guys will show you how to use it. Um, and then you have it within your arsenal. You can set up an account with them. It's very simple to do. Uh, I think at this point, you got to get yourself some uh, production insurance, some renters insurance, but they can walk you through the process. It's very simple, very easy process to do. Um, so like I said, make a relationship with your local rental house. It's important to you. Uh, it will improve your career. Um, and uh, if you're in the East Coast and you're above New York, Rule Boston Camera is the way to go. Those guys kick ass. Uh, also supporting the show, Back for more, actually, is Quasar Science. Uh, we were talking about all these developments in technology with cameras and stuff, but honestly, the stuff that has impressed me the most over the past few years, as far as gear goes, has been lighting. The advancements in lighting with LED technology have been insane. I mean, if you've looked at my work and you see, like Gina's work, we love working with color, vivid color, very saturated color. Um, and we've been doing so for years. And prior to this LED technology, you'd find us in the in like backstage hardware, like going through gel swatches and spending a fortune on fucking colored gels. I mean, I've got two giant gel rolls that are out in the uh, storage facility here um, that I barely use anymore because of the LED LED tech. These days you can use these lights that run cooler. That means temperature-wise cooler so that you don't have these super hot sets anymore. They're compact, they run on batteries, and if you are plugging them into the wall, uh, you don't need a massive circuit to run them. Um, and one of the best companies out there for LED tech is Quasar Science. Now I know a lot of gaffers listen to the show, a lot of lighting techs, a lot of DPs listen to the show and they go, yeah, no shit, my Quasar's everywhere. They're amazing. For that should mean something to you if you're a young filmmaker and understand this. And if you're looking to put together like a really great kit, they sell their little tubes and they have bicolor tubes, meaning that they'll either shoot tungsten or daylight, but they also have rainbow color tubes that you can dial in any color in the spectrum on, which are really great. They can all be paired together. Um, you can actually run different programs through them. They can simulate things like cop lights, and all sorts of flickering TVs, all that kind of shit. It's really cool. Quasar Science. Go to quasarscience.com, check them out. Um, and then I'll have some links in our sponsor section for the tubes and stuff that I use. Um, I'm about to get a couple new tubes from the guys and I'll talk about them when I get them. Um, but I love them. I think I've got like a two foot um, rainbow color tube right now. That is really cool. I love it. It's an awesome thing. 
when we start filming this show, gasp, I might have said that. Yes, when we start filming this show, I'll probably be using a lot of the Quasar stuff for that too. So love those guys. I'm happy that they're sticking around with us. Thanks so much for the support, fellas. Now, on the show, we have a new sponsor. Uh, and finally, we were able to get it all put together. Uh, it's My Call Sheet, mycallsheet.com. I'm going to read that. This is the first sponsor that actually sent me some copies. So let's read the copy that they sent me. Uh, last time you traveled for work, were you losing time by searching your emails multiple times, fishing out details like booking, code, hotel, reservations, and call time and location address, etc.? Uh, we know how <clears throat> we know how hard it is to be organized, and that is why you have to try my call sheet. Go to mycallsheet.works and create a profile, share a call sheet, and get it together. That was <laughs> a pretty good read. Let me go into some more detail on this, guys, because I <clears throat> I think it's a pretty cool product. How many of you are on set? How many of you are either doing photo shoots and you have to do call sheets? Um, I don't. When I started doing productions, it was always like, what is the correct format for a call sheet? How do I lay it out? What belongs on a call sheet? And then how do I update call sheets? There's nothing worse than being on that chain of like 50 crew members and they're just continuously changing the call sheet information because the day has changed. And then you have this chain in your email, like which is the call sheet? What is the correct call time? What's happening? Uh, it seems like my call sheet's gonna put that all together. It's an app. You can use it on your laptop. You can use it on your phone. You can update it so everybody stays consistently updated with it. I know a lot of you guys listen to the show. I know a lot of the young listeners on this show love to use their fucking phones for everything. Um, so I would definitely go check it out. You can go to mycallsheet.com. Um, but let me use the official link she sent me. Go to mycallsheet.works. Create a profile, share a call sheet, and get it together. And uh, the owner of this company, Veronica, I know that she is an actress. She's a model. She knows her shit. She's putting it together. She, she knows all the little issues that we have on set. So I would definitely go check it out. So like I said, once again, go to mycallsheet.works check it out another great sponsor of the show is actually a really cool team up that i'm doing i'm uh, teaming up with FilmUp, uh filmup.co uh basically film up enables filmmakers to connect collaborate create and inspire uh it's this really cool new network that you can sign up for to find crew to find collaborators it's pretty awesome i actually found them on instagram uh they have like such a really wonderfully curated instagram account um, and if you look it up, it's just film up, filmup.co. That's filmup.co. Um, and you guys can follow them over there. They do posts with gear. They do posts with uh, what's new and what's going on in the film world. Um, really cool dudes. And what we're going to do is team up. I think they're going to be uh, promoting the show and I'll be promoting them as well. So another new sponsor of the show. That's filmup.co. Go check them out. Uh, also, you guys have seen it before. Like I said, if you go into our sponsor section, you click the link in our Instagram bio, uh, you can support the show a couple of different ways. You can just donate to us. There's like a $10 donation button for the show. If you're like, hey, Mike, you're kicking ass. 50 episodes. How about a little bit of loot? Boom. It's a good way to do it. But I understand that most of you listening to the show are in the same boat that I am, right? Where your money's tight can't really reach into that wallet right now i get it i'm not judging you it's totally fine 
There are a bunch of things that you can do to support the show without costing you a dime. First, if you haven't done so already, if you haven't signed up for an Audible trial anywhere else, if you haven't been an Audible member, you can sign up with us. If you go to audibletrial.com backslash and live with the process, the link will be below. Uh, you sign up for a 30-day free trial, which comes with a free book, which is pretty badass. You listen to the book for 30 days. You find a bunch of other stuff. If you like it, stick with it. If you don't, you can cancel after 30 days. No big deal. We get paid either way. The show makes a little bit of cash. So it's the fastest, simplest way to do so. Now, if you really want to help us out, and you really want to get us a good chunk of change, we also have a little deal set up with Capital One. Now, before I get into this read, if you're an asshole that doesn't know how to have a credit card, if you're in debt, if you don't know how to uh, manage your spending, then don't do this. I do not advise you get this credit card. But if you are somebody that is starting your own company, if you are tired of having to dig into your own savings to pay for gear and stuff on jobs, I advise you get a credit card. It's great. And if you sign up for uh, one of these Capital One cards, I know that's no interest for a year so you can be doing that stuff. And here's why I did it. The Venture card and the Venture One card come with really great incentives. So if you get the Venture card, right, and then I think it's if you spend $3,000 within the first three months, you get what's equivalent to about $500 in points, which is fantastic. And those points can be used for anything travel. That's lift rides, that's plane rides, that's booking hotels, that's all that stuff. Um, it's a great card for that. Uh, it's actually a really great car. It comes with a bunch of different benefits. Like if you are renting a car, it's got insurance on it. Uh, <clears throat> so if you use the card, you can use the card's insurance. Um, there's all sorts of really cool stuff. Uh, there's the Venture card and then there's the Venture One. The difference between the two is that the Venture card after the first year is a $95 annual fee. If you don't want to pay annually, you can go to Venture One. Venture One has a smaller incentive. I think if you spend about $1,000 within the first three months, I think you get, uh, don't quote me, but it's about 300 bucks, maybe 250, 300 bucks worth of points that you can use towards travel, uh, but there's no annual fee. Gina and I got the both, and we were able to use those points to help us travel cross country. So be smart about it. If you know how to work your finances, if you're a responsible spender, then I would definitely check it out. And you can find both those card deals at the link in my Instagram bio or at lovewiththeprocess.com. All right. A lot of reads, but it's good. These people are supporting the show. I love all these folks and I love you guys. Uh, so let's get right back into it. More from Maggie. I always have such uh, an, uh, an amazing respect for acting and uh, like acting ability because I know how chaotic film sets are and I know how mm. how out of sequence film sets so, are. So out of sequence. Um, and it's just insane to me. And then the idea, like I, I started as a camera op before I was a director. And so I didn't know that. Yeah, I started in, as a cinematographer and a, and a photographer before then. So wow. I would shoot. And when you're doing a lot of handheld stuff, you're also performing mm. as the oh, handheld yeah. camera up. And I remember um, being asked to do stuff because I was really good at a specific 
handheld style, which ended up fucking my back up. But I was very oh. good at like a very specific <laughs> style. Yeah. And so you go in there and then you're essentially performing. And so totally. with the talent and you're trying to talk to the talent, and you're like, okay, you go here and then and you try to figure this out. And then you do this performing thing. And I remember saying to myself, like, as a camera person, I can hide behind this thing that I'm doing. Yeah. As an actor. You can't hide behind anything. anything. And so when you said that, you know, you get adjusted, that you pretend to act or like how you act in front of these people, like that's got to be fucking weird. Like how, if you're sitting next to uh, an actor who's a big time talent and you've never really been on a set of this scale, mm. what is, what is, what is acting at that point? Is it you relying on on stuff that you've learned like techniques that you've learned or is it you just being in the moment i think a lot of it is is in the moment and and sort of at least for me i think i'm i'm not someone who like plays a version of themselves with every character like you know those actors where they play lots of different characters but you can always see them in the character Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm much more someone who like metamorphosizes into the character like I don't see elements of myself in the care I see elements of myself but not in the performance gotcha um and so I think for me I was lucky in that a lot of these scenes were fun scenes so for example one of them is like Sienna Miller and Aaron Paul are getting married Mm -hmm. and we're at the family table and we're talking and we're doing like all the family wedding festivities stuff um and, you know, just getting into the energy of, like, what that's like and what that's like for, for my character and then just playing. Um, and I feel like Jake Scott uh, was amazing because I think he set the tone for what it was like to be on that set, which was, we're just going to play. I mean, even my first shot, um, Sienna Miller's, like, watching us out the window and I'm with my boyfriend and they're talking about, like, oh, is it serious? Like, <laughs> what kind of girl is she? And... Um, Jake Scott was like, hey, come here. I want you to just just like when I say action, just like I'm going to signal you and I want you to go over and um, and sit on the actor playing your boyfriend's lap and just like surprise him because I want to get like an authentic reaction out of him. And I was like, yeah, for sure. And so we did that. And then he'd be like, okay, what about for this take if we try this, this, and this? And it was just such an environment that was geared towards like playing and trying things and improvisation. Um, and I think... For some actors, that's terrifying, and some people like like a very clear-cut script, and this is what I have to do. But for me, I love being on a set where there's a lot of freedom to sort of play and discover. Mm. Uh, and I, so I think that really put me at ease because it didn't feel like pressure to, to be perfect or get a take a certain way. It was like, let's just try a bunch of different things and see what we feel like works in a sort of collaborative way. Well, I can see that because you have, the, you have that skill um, – because as a director, from my standpoint, I don't know if you feel the same way as a director, but mm. as a director, um, I'm trying to figure out how all the pieces fit. And, yeah. and that's usually with the talent, where you have certain talent that's like, they're really good at remembering lines, they're really good at blocking, they're really good at t- uh, like being a presence. And then you have uh, actors that don't have to say a fucking thing. They, people just want to look at them. Yes. Yep. You have them that they, they just have that God given talent to just walk in the room and no matter where you are, you're just like, you could be at the, at the laundromat staring at that person. Totally. And <laughs> totally, wanting yes. to stare at that person all day. And then you have someone that is improving. And so when you're looking at all these elements and you're putting the movie together, and I, 
I figured this out on 12 cam because I had such a weird mix of, I had like, uh, like classically trained old dude, Russian theater dudes. And I had mm. like improv guys and I had, and la- all speaking in a different language. language. Oh yeah. <laughs> like and a language I don't speak. Insanity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that is a that was a massive undertaking. Like you were fucking crazy for doing <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I'm so I like, glad it paid off. But like, yeah, holy shit, yeah, dude. Yeah, and I like to torture myself, so that's kind of what it is. <laughs> um, but when you're looking at all this stuff, I think at some point, at least I'm looking for for someone to save someone else's ass, and that's basically it. So like, mm. if you get into a scene, you want every scene to be enthralling. You want to lose yourself in every scene. Yeah. And sometimes it's the lighting. Sometimes it's the music. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the performance. Most of the time it should be the performance. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the goal. ultimately yes. what you want. Totally. Um, but then there, there are these moments where you're not getting it the way it's scripted. And right. you need to find that spark. And that's where having that improvisation is really great. But the same token, I don't think I could do a whole movie that's all improvisation because no. there's just so much shit. No, I mean, like, and then editing it. I'm I like mumblecore movies, but editing uh, a mumblecore film, I think would I think I would die. Yeah. Um. But I do. I agree. Like a whole movie is a lot, but I think having moments of improvisation tend to make movies so much stronger because there is that actual presence and authenticity. Mm -hmm. Um, The last film, the last feature that I worked on was the one I shot in Budapest and almost all my lines that are in the movie were improv um, because, you know, the director had a really clear vision for what she wanted, but Mm -hmm. she was also super open. um, And so she would say, just like, how would you say that? Like, how would you get that idea across? And I would say something, she would be like, oh my God, that's amazing. That's exactly what I want. Um, So I think, you know, it can make for really compelling performances if you're able to sort of have that freedom to to be really authentic and honest with the dialogue. And I think as a director, at least personally, I'm always looking for that, oh my God, moment. Because mm-hmm. then if I, I've always said this before, when I used to take, when I used to be a portrait photographer, um, I used to say that I had to fall in love with the subjects. Yeah. Like ultimately, whether man, woman, dog, cat, whatever the fuck it is, like <laughs> you'd have to, like I'd have to fall in love with it. And then within my admiration or my obsession over this thing, I could then translate that to you right. with the skills that I have. I can go, this person has these amazing eyes. So I'm going to use this lens, this and this and this and this and this and this. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I can do that kind of thing. Um, and so I'm constantly looking for that. Oh my God, fucking thing. Yes. And so with improv, it's always interesting and I love that. But then like Gene, so I keep going to who's there, which no one has seen, <laughs> uh, but you guys I'm have sorry, seen the trailer. Guys. You guys have seen the trailer. Um, but with Gene, Gene is such a presence. Oh yeah. And he's like such a, I always say he's my Russian Jean Renault. You know who Jean Renault is? You ever no. watched the professional with, uh, Oh, with Leon? Leon? Yes. yes. So he's the Leon. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So Gene is my Leon. <laughs> um, but he has this very professional, he's, I forget, is it the Straw? I can never pronounce it, Strauslovsky? I think that's it, T- technique. He was Stanislavski. So, uh, yeah, so one of one oh. of the one of the Russians. One of the Russian ones. <laughs> one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so he was he was re- he was trained on that, and it's very it's very specific. Mm. And I can count on him 
when we were cutting our coverage, he was on every take. And mm. there was no there was no in-betweens. So it was just like I can intercut. Always dropped oh, into that place. From fucking like take 13 to take two. And it will work. And it would work every time. Mm. And it wasn't just on this. He was also in who's there in uh, 12 cam. Right. So like he every time. There's a lot of consistency in that. And his consistency was the reason why I cast him. Besides the fact that he's really great and he's my genre. No, but his consistency is why he ultimately got the role in who's there. Because mm. I had never worked with Shay and I knew Shay was a new actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hadn't found you and I didn't know who was going to be in that. So in my head, Gene was always going like to be a stabilizing my, force. my rock. Yeah. Always going to be my rock. And when we were having a little bit of trouble finding our scenes in the beginning, he was able to not only be a rock, but then I can send him in as a weapon and I can go in there and go, I need you to get this out of her. I need mm. you to change your tone. I need you to find this. Um, and he was able to go in there and and sort of use do that. that do yeah. That. So he is a great weapon, essentially, to, to be able to go in there and go, find this, find this, find this. And you know that he's going to be a pro. He's one of those dudes that when I work with him on 12KM, the part was just a simple part about a, a guy actually at the hole, and he was a miner at the hole, driller at the hole, doing his shit. And then he was supposed to joke around with these guys. Mm-hmm. And they were like losing their minds and were in this place, and they were lack of sex and they were just talking like a bunch of guys talking yeah and uh he walked in uh and i cast him because i liked his look and i casted him because he could speak russian so it's like very simple and um he's like i'm gonna do my homework i was like cool so he comes to set that day and it was a huge day for me i had like 30 extras and a huge steady cam shot and everything was yeah that set oh it was just insane. insane it was a bad day so we're there doing this, and, and, I, and I'm doing his scene. And so yeah, as a director, you know, like everybody's in your fucking ear, and then you just sort of walk over to the talent, and I'm just like, <sighs> I just put my hand out. I'm like, okay, good. I'm ready. Let's talk to you about what he goes. Don't talk to me. <laughs> and I was like, what? He goes, can I just show you? Can I just show you? I've done my stuff. Can I just show you what it is? And I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. I was yeah, like, yeah, show me. Please, please do, please do. And and so we go to the first position, crew to get on camera, I go sit at the monitor and I'm like, okay. And I watch this thing and he fucking destroys it. He just destroys it. He, he just comes, knows exactly what he's doing. And he and I walk over to him and he and he, he he of course is a collaborator, so he comes over to me and he's just like, What do you think? Right. Do you think my pacing's right? Do you think my stuff I go, everything is perfect? I would just change this and this and you're golden, man. Yeah, tweak it and And then he was on point for what, six takes, seven takes. That is perfect. And he was on and off. And Yeah, as a director, that's such a an ideal quality, right? Because it's so, so, so dependable. Especially like you said, if you're you know you're gonna be working with some actors that you haven't worked with before and you're not Mm -hmm. sure what those takes are gonna look like. That's such a reassuring factor in the equation. I think that's why a lot of directors will, for two reasons. I think they'll go back to the same person. A, if the person suddenly has notoriety, uh, uh, is notoriable, mm. and <laughs> that word, <laughs> and they can get some financing. Right, good to go. Yeah, that's one. But also, two, you just have these stern, solid tools in your toolkit. 
where you're just like, I'm going to put you in this role and you in this role because I know you. I know you can work really hard. I know we work really well together. Right. You're great for this fucking character. Or I have no idea who this character is. And I know I'm going to put you in there and you're going to find, figure the, something find out. the role. I mean, it, sure. isn't, it isn't always as romantic as people want it to be, where it's just like, there's the role for me. And right. I, found I was it, born uh, to play. Uh, and I was cast in this thing. I always say, you're sitting on a brand new couch. I always say casting is like couch it's shopping. It's a nice couch. Yeah, we just picked it up. Very cute. Uh, but uh, casting to me is like couch shopping. It's mm. the worst. And you go. <laughs> and you, <it's laughs> I did not think that's where the metaphor the, was going. Literally, <laughs> it the is worst. the worst. Because actors you, everywhere, you heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> because when you go couch shopping, what do you do? Right, you walk in and you look first, and you go, mm. "Ooh, that's the style I want. I want to have a modern couch." I want to have this kind of couch. And you go, cool. And then you go sit on the fucking thing. Yeah. And you're like, you're like does it? I don't know. It yeah. doesn't feel good. I don't feel good the way this couch feels. It looks really good. Eh, all right. And then, and then you start sitting on couches. And then you're like, well, I haven't found the one that I'm supposed to feel. And then next thing you know, you're 15 fucking furniture stores in. And now you're sitting <laughs> on a couch, uh, couch number 20. And you're like, I don't even remember what my ass feels like. <laughs> I don't know what this is. And that's casting. Casting is the same thing where you're just like, if you don't know who it is and you don't, that person doesn't walk in the room and you go, that's them. That's yeah. them. Then it becomes couch shopping where you're just like, who is this person? I don't know. I don't fucking know who this person is. And so and I think for a lot of those minor roles for me, you rely heavily on a casting uh, uh, person. Casting director. Be- yeah. Casting director. Because uh, you're just like, I. Right. I, I, I just don't know what I'm looking at. I don't even know what I'm looking at. Yeah. So, someone needs to help inspire me into believing in what this thing is. And I always tell actors that because it's got to be incredibly tough because you're presenting yourself and every casting session you go into, right. it's like this could you're be You're literally my role. marketing you. Right. And this, I need to make rent or this is my breakout or I need to do something. Mm. And then you go in there and uh, you're a couch on the fucking floor. Right. So it, I, I always feel incredibly, I don't want to say guilty, but bad for the people that come through. And so whenever I do a casting session, and you've been in a couple of my casting sessions, whenever I do mm-hmm. casting sessions, it's like, please show me what you're going to do. Always very polite. Let that yeah. person do their thing. Because at the end of the day, for, for 99% of those people, the actual ability to go in and talk to me is what I'm allowing them, is what they're getting from this. Right. Is that practice going into that session and yeah, having that the practice and the repetition? And, well, and you know, as an actor, so much of the job is auditioning. I mean, the job is not working on sets that would be really romantic and <laughs> lovely. Um, but the majority of being an actor is auditioning, and so I think you need to to find a way to enjoy the process of auditioning and realize that auditioning is, in a way, a collaborative performance i mean Mm -hmm. it is a chance for you to say i read the script this is how i would do it and maybe how you would do it is completely not what is right for this project um but it's a chance ultimately for you to i think just show the casting director and and the producting production team and, and whoever else um sort of what you bring to the table as an actor so that you know if this is not the right project. Maybe 
one of them is working on a project a year later and they need someone exactly like you, you know? So, Hmm. so I think a huge part of, of being an actor and, and I imagine having like longevity to your career has to do with your ability to keep auditioning and keep handling the fact that most of those are going to be a no and learning to like be totally okay with that. Do you like auditioning? Um, auditioning in LA is weird. I'll say because it's mostly self tapes now. Mm. Um, I rarely go in the room for things on an initial read. It's very, very rare out here. Um, I would say maybe one in every 10th audition is in the room. Um, so self-taping is sort of its own animal. I love self-taping. I put, put friends on tape all the time, but it's always nice to go in the room because it's also sort of building a relationship and, mm-hmm. and meeting a new person, a new casting director and seeing what they're about. And it's, I think a lovely chance to collaborate because if you send a self-tape, it's sort of you being like, okay, this is my take on it. Versus I think if you're in the casting room, I mean, obviously, you know, even in my audition uh, for who's there with you, you have that chance to show what you can do and then have them be like, okay, that's nice, but I love everything you're doing, but I feel like this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. And then you're able to sort of take that note and work on the character together, which I think is, uh, is a great opportunity. So I always like when I can go in the room. I don't blame you. And then, like I was saying before, that toolbox shit, like I can't Mm. tell that from a self tape. No, not at all. at all. That's like, that's like online dating. Well, I always you know? say, I always say that like I, when I was casting for those little kids, I was casting in Boston because that's where I was, that's where I ultimately filmed it, but I was living out here. So I was going through tons of self tapes and there were kids who I knew cause I'd seen them audition for a previous film I directed who I knew were good actors, but whose self tapes were not showing me that at all yeah. because it's such a funny, weird format. And I think especially in Boston, it's not self taping in Boston is so unusual. Yeah. Um, it's a very foreign thing. Um, so I think self tapes can sort of make sometimes make bad actors look really good and sometimes make good (laughs) actors look really bad. Um, so yeah, it's always nice when they do it the old fashioned way. So let's get back to you. What, um, so now that you're out here, now that you're in Los Angeles and you're doing all these self tapes and all that stuff, the LA thing, the LA thing, (laughs) what, okay. What is it really like? What is your, what is your week like? What is your normal week like? So what's my normal week like? So, um, I'm lucky. I don't really work a day job. I do some, a couple hours a week, remote work here and there. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm sort of been able to, since the film I shot in Budapest that paid actually my bills for a while, which was a crazy concept to actually be an actor who can sustain themselves with their career. Um, but, uh, a normal week, I have a couple acting classes a week. So every Monday night I have a, uh, scene study, like acting for film class that Mm -hmm. I do. And every Tuesday night I have, uh, an acting for theater intensive workshop. Um, and throughout the week I'll rehearse for each of those a few times, uh, meet up with people in class. So a significant amount of time, even if I don't have auditions, I spend working on material. Uh, and then like beyond that, in terms of the auditions, uh, it so depends. Like I'll have times of year where almost every other day I'm auditioning and so every day I'm coaching something or I'm going out for a commercial or a voiceover or something and then there are uh certain times of year like summer specifically where you're like 
oh my God, I'm never going to audition again. (laughs) (laughs) There are no auditions left in the world. Um, So it definitely depends on the time of year. Um, But I think for me, actually, a huge thing being out here that's been super liberating is the fact that I have been doing writing, directing stuff because I think as an actor, uh, you're always waiting for permission to mm-hmm. do to make your art uh mm-hmm. so you know you could you could be a fantastic actor but you still need to get yeses from a casting assistant a casting director a director a studio head and and all the other people involved in a given project um versus you know i can sit down and and write a feature film whenever i want to uh mm-hmm. whenever i so choose uh so i think for me that has been so 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 fulfilling being somewhere like LA where you know the monotony of auditions or lack thereof can become really uh exhausting to a lot of people who sort of move out here to do that thing Mm -hmm. um I think it's so important to have something whether it's whether it's writing or or directing or even something even like a hobby like Totally. Like whatever that may be, a sport or something, something that you feel incredibly passionate about and invested in, but that you can just go do whenever, you know, you need to not be thinking about that element of your career. Um, so I would say a huge amount of my time throughout the week is spent like writing and editing and, and doing that aspect of stuff, which I love. That's super cool. That's super cool, man. Um, well, I'm proud of you, man. Just the Thank small amount you. of time that I've known you. And, and so the film that you've done at uh, Budapest, you've talked about it multiple times and I haven't brought it up. That's that yes. K-12 movie, right? Yes, yes. So what's the deal so, with this? Okay, so this was a crazy project. Um, so I got this audition and I was actually living in Boston at the time because I, I've i been living out here full time since January. Mm-hmm. Um But a full year before that, I came out here on sort of a trial basis for five months. And then I spent a fair amount of uh, months flying back and forth between Boston and L.A. So I got this audition. I was in Boston. I flew out for it and because I had a few auditions that that day. Um, It went great. I didn't really know what the project was. I had to sign an NDA, but it was very unclear what this thing was. <laughs> and so I flew back to Boston because I had an audition the next day for that show, the society for Netflix that mm-hmm. films in Boston. So I went back, had an audition for that. And then I got home that night and they were like, we're so excited to see you at callbacks tomorrow morning. <laughs> and I'm fully in Boston and it is like <laughs> six o'clock at night. And the callback is for, 9 a.m. the following morning. Oh, my God. So I'm like, what do I do? Like, what? I have to make a choice. So, um, you know, the project, at this point, I still really didn't know what it was. <laughs> but it seemed compelling. And uh, so I got a red-eye ticket. Oh and I God. flew. And I landed at LAX at 7. Um, and then Ubered, like, directly to the casting office in Hollywood and I went into the bathroom and I like curled my hair in the bathroom of the casting <laughs> office, like, like really like last minute. Um, and I went in and, and did the callback. And then a week later they, they were like, great. So, uh, you got the part. Do you have your passport? Uh, you leave in two weeks for Budapest. Um, and I was like, wait, what's the project? <laughs> so finally they sent me the script. Um, and basically I don't know how much you figured I've, out about it no so i've just seen the the clip i think i've seen a clip of you killing it 
<laughs> the trailer, yeah, maybe yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> so I've seen a clip of that, but I don't know much about it. What's the deal? So basically, uh, there's this um, musician, sort of a pop indie star, Melanie Martinez, mm-hmm. and she was on The Voice uh, when she was a teenager, and then she signed with Atlantic Records uh, and made her first album, Cry Baby, which was massively successful, and she made these really intricate sort of esoteric uh, Tim Burton style music videos to mm-hmm. accompany the album. Um, really crazy full budget videos that ended up getting hundreds of millions of views on YouTube and becoming wildly popular. And so for her sophomore album, she wrote all the songs and then she actually wrote all 13 songs into a screenplay that's sort of a series of 13 interconnected music videos with a plot line that tells like a start to finish story. Cool. So very, very cool stuff. She's incredible. She's such a visionary um, and only 24 years old, ridiculously (laughs) successful. Um, But so that's basically what this was. So it was sort of a, a movie music video hybrid um, and I didn't know her work at all. I'd met her at the callback and I didn't know who she was. Um, I'm <laughs> clueless about music though. Like to be fair, I know nothing. So as soon as I asked my friends, I was like, oh yeah, it's the singer, you know, Melanie something, Melanie Martinez. And my friends were like, yeah, Melanie Martinez. So I was like, great. So I'm just clueless. I'm out of the loop. Um, but so basically I played her, uh, arch rival, um, Mm -hmm. sort of the mean girl of the school, Kelly, uh, which was a lot of fun. I mean, I'm pretty horrible in this movie. Um, I saw that clip. What is the deal? Because you have a dark, you have a dark edge in you. (laughs) There is something dark in there between my movie that you did. I know. It's what I gravitate towards. Honestly, I, um, actually, I've was telling my friend I've been thinking about dyeing my hair brown and I'm like, cause I just don't feel like, I feel like everyone sees me and I look like a very, like I would play very sort of bubbly, like the blonde characters. It's the blonde thing. Um, but definitely the characters I gravitate towards have like a much darker Mm -hmm. thing going on. Cause I just think it's so much more interesting to play. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and Kelly was so, so much fun to play. It's been really fun seeing people's responses. We had a, a premiere, the movie was released uh, everywhere on the 6th. Mm-hmm. But we had a premiere in LA at the Cinerama Dome Yep. at the Arclight. Yep. Um, so that was super fun. I've never done like the red carpet thing before. So that was very fun um, and meeting some of the fans. And then they flew us all to New York and we did a premiere there. So that was great because my family, nice. my whole family is still in Boston. So they all got to come up and see the yeah, movie yeah, yeah. and do the whole family thing. Uh, which was awesome. So yeah, it's been really fun to see people, people's responses. A lot of people like Kelly more than I thought they would. (laughs) So if anyone's listening, thank you guys. Um, but I thought I was going to get a lot of hate because I'm really horrible. Um, but a lot of people are able to differentiate the actor (laughs) from the character, which is much appreciated. So Um, what was, uh, what was Budapest like? What was it like filming? Oh my God. Okay. So, everything about it was just amazing. Um, It was my first time out of the country. 
I've oh, never, never been out of I'd the country. I'd never left the U.S. before. Um, and so getting that part and then being like, you're going to be on a plane to Budapest in two weeks was insanity. Also, mind you, I, I graduated high school early. So this is what would have been my senior year of high school. Right. So all my best friends are like taking exams and they're like, you get to take a seven week trip to Budapest <laughs> to like be on set. I'm like, this is the life. Um, so it was incredible. They flew us there um, and we lived there for almost two months. Wow. Um, Budapest is an amazing city. I've never been. You should definitely I've go. Gina the, just went. She said it was amazing. Oh, she did? Oh my yeah. gosh. I'll have to talk to her about it. Uh, the only thing that's not great is the food. <laughs> uh, not a big fan. It's a lot of like really heavy meat. Like uh-huh. we had incredibly early call times, like 3 a.m. And so we get picked up at 3 a.m., get to set at 5 and be in hair and makeup. And the breakfast would be like 12 kinds of sausage yeah. and onion rings. Well, yeah, I guess you. Like a very interesting, very interesting Sounds like choices. I love it to pieces, but yeah, yeah I can see why. <laughs> That's true, yeah, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, you're the wrong person yeah. to talk to about this. Um, but, but yeah, uh, the architecture was incredible. Um, and we had a lot of days off and, and weekends off where we could explore. And I was actually able to take weekend trips to different countries so Ooh. oh yeah because it's all the euro it's, it's all, all so connected. close yeah, and yeah. it's all like a 50 dollar plane ticket yeah. um so i literally just spent my per diem on like fun little vacations awesome um and i was able first i went to switzerland i've always wanted to go to Switzerland. oh my god it was amazing my uncle and his partner lived there um and so i was finally able to visit them which was awesome. crazy fun and then i went to austria mm-hmm. and i went into the salt mines Oh uh, yeah, because cool. I was dying to do that. So me and one of the other girls went, um, and then they took us to Germany, which we didn't know was happening. But they were like, "We're in Germany now." Um, so I said, "I count that as a country because I spent like two hours there." <laughs> um, <laughs> but technically, I visited Germany. Um, and then the last trip, I went to Poland, cool. um, and I went to Krakow, and also visited Auschwitz. Um, which was just like a life-changing trip. And my yeah. family's from Poland. Uh, my whole dad's side of the family, Budzina is a, Budzin is a village, a town in Poland. Um, so going there and like eating pierogies and was just incredible. Um, so yeah, it was honestly just, the film itself and being on set was incredible, but mm-hmm. just the overall trip was definitely like probably the most transformative two months of my life to be, like living on my own for the first time and in a foreign country for the first time and just sort of the ideal dream. What was it? So uh, did they go there for the incentives? Was it was it like a tax incentive yes. thing? So yeah. the tax incentives are amazing. I've there. heard that they're amazing. Like there. incredible, incredible. And also um, housing actors is, I mean, the cost of living is incredibly low in yeah. Budapest. So they were able to house us in these amazing apartments for, I what I would imagine was like barely anything, barely anything like yeah. a few hundred bucks a month with like full service maids and ridiculous amenities. Um, Cause I hear the crew's amazing. That's what they shot. The last Blade Runner movie we yes. shot there. Like all that stuff. Was I like, was going to say the, the crews there, like I would say about a little more than half of our crew was locals. Um, and they were incredible. I mean like the industry there is really, really booming. Um, and even things like, like it's such a great place to vacation because going out to eat, for example, like uh-huh. I would take myself out to like a nice meal <laughs> and I get like a whole pizza and like a dessert and a drink because I was legal also for the first time. I get like a nice little dainty glass of wine <laughs> and my whole bill would be like 
$4. And I was like, I need to live here. This is ridiculous. I'm just chuckling because you're like, I took myself out to a nice meal. I had a a pizza. (laughs) You're in a European country. I mean, (laughs) listen, it was a pizza or like sausage. I'm in Budapest. So (laughs) Uh, that's awesome, man. I've like, uh, we've been talking about filming at least one of the projects is over there, actually. Oh, so I've dude, been, I've if been dying. you film out there, I will geek out so hard. Mm. I will definitely come visit your set. Yeah, I yeah. need to get back to Budapest. It's yeah. a really cool place. I'm, you know, I I love. I mean, especially with Twelve Cam. Twelve Cam is a a film that takes place in a different country. So mm, that and Budapest sort of plays like the nondescript. Like anywhere mm-hmm. in that area, mm-hmm. country. And then, if you're looking for props, if you're looking for extras, oh my god, all that yeah. kind of stuff is just so readily available. As opposed to like going and filming in in Atlanta, and totally. you're just like, "The fuck, this is supposed to be right. This is Atlanta, <laughs> you know? Like you can't. This is like, what's in, what's in Atlanta? Like humidity and strip clubs, <laughs> you know what I mean? like hot chicken and strip clubs. You know, so I mean, love hot chicken, but <laughs> I don't know how beneficial it is to make 12 km the feature film in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's awesome. So that's a great. I mean, that's that must have been a really fun set because she is big on production design. Oh my god, the production designers for this film were. Some of the most talented people. I mean, I would walk on set and just be like, like what? First of all, we were filming in these ornate palaces. So I mean, the architecture to begin with is just insane. It's easy at that point. Yeah, Um, yeah, exactly. But then everything they did just to make, I mean, every shot of that movie is so just like delicious and beautiful Mm -hmm. um, just from a cinematic perspective um, because of the production design. So the whole crew really was just so, so spectacular to work with. What's the release of the movie? How's, do you know the details? Yeah, so it came out. So it did, uh, on the 5th, it went theatrical worldwide for one night only. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it played in like 30 different countries. Um, so that was really fun. All my friends and family got to see it wherever they lived, which was really cool. And then, uh, it was on you. They released, she has a deal with YouTube. They released it on YouTube for free for a a short period of time, Mm -hmm. um, as sort of an incentive for the fans so that anyone who really wanted to see it could see it. Um, and now I believe it is available, uh, through, Amazon and iTunes and then I'm not sure if it will soon be released. I I think I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying this. I think it will be released on a streaming platform eventually. Eventually. Um yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll try to put links below cuz the stuff I've seen. Hey Gina. Hi. Hey. <laughs> the stuff I've seen in your scene was fantastic. Thank you. Thank really you. Um this is great. What are we at? Okay, so we're we're doing pretty good. What's your schedule like? Are you okay? You got stuff you got to go run and do? Yeah, no, I'm I'm chilling. Okay, good. Um, so let me see. Let me see if I've missed anything because there's so many great things that I wanted to talk about. Uh, got the little notepad out. Uh, you know, you just keep yourself. <laughs> you keep yourself in line. Uh, gotta stay organized. So okay. There's a lot of actors that listen to the show, so let's get back into acting shit. Mm. What, um, so are you repped at this point? Do you have an agent out here? Like, what do you do? Yes, doing? yes. So I am with, uh, I've been with CESD uh, since, I don't know if you, you know them. They're a pretty mm-hmm. big agency out here. 
Um, I've been with them across the board since I moved out here. Uh, like I would say it's been like a year and a half now. So I'm super lucky, uh, to, to have that because it's such a tricky, it's this tricky thing. I think as an actor, um, if actors are listening, they know where you can't get an agent unless you have credits. It's the same with you everything. You can't get credits unless you have an agent. It's the yeah, same, it's the same as a, I'm it's sure as a director. same as everything. I'm literally running into that right now where we're having trouble getting one of the features running and it's like, well, do you have a feature? I'm like, no, because no, I need you making, to I need have you to feature. make my feature. Yeah, like I, how the fuck do you want me to do this? <laughs> like totally. chicken and the egg, you yeah, know, you and it's the same exactly. bullshit. Exactly. Um, someone needs to take a chance. Right. So, so I was lucky that I had a, a producer, a friend of mine, and a casting director who had referred me uh, both to this agency, um, and so they've been they've been taking care of me since then, which is awesome. But also, um, you know, I think a huge part of being an actor is is you know they always say your agent takes ten percent, so mm-hmm. they should be doing ten percent of the work. Mm-hmm. So that other ninety percent is a huge amount, um, and obviously some of that is self-explanatory when it comes to like taking classes and, and like getting headshots done and, and stupid things like that. But I also think, well, classes are not stupid. They're very important, but, um, but you know what I mean? Obvious things like that. Um, but then there are things like, you know, uh, just building relationships with people that are authentic and, uh, you know, people that you like to work with and that like to work with you and, um, and also like, content creation like creating your own content is huge I mean a huge reason that I was drawn to direct in the first place was because everyone was telling me to create my own content Mm -hmm. and then I started directing and realized my love for it was far beyond wanting to just like create content for myself yeah Yeah, exactly it was more about wanting to to tell stories whether or not I'm acting in those stories um but but I think you know self-submission now too is a huge thing with, you know, not with massive projects, but with smaller ones. And, and K-12 was actually a self-submit mm. um, because they were looking for a lot of diversity and a lot of uh, specific things. So they cast a, a really broad, uh, wide net to begin with. Um, so I, th- I think there's a lot that you can do as an actor um, that is in your control. And I think people don't usually tell you that they're just like, well, you have to wait for an agent agent to Mm -hmm. like give you permission. And, and yes, with the bigger projects, that's so helpful. Um, but a lot of it is, is just sort of interpersonal stuff and stuff that you also momentum you can create for yourself. I think. Totally. I mean, I talked to a lot of actors about that too, as much as I know who the, what the fuck do I know? But, um, (laughs) Like, uh, I'm always saying to them, like, it's really important to have real close relationships with directors Mm -hmm. and because a director is going to call on you when he needs you or she needs you ultimately where you're just like, this is part, I need this person that I can know that, that I know is, is perfect for just call Lance or call so-and-so, you know, cause you, cause you know, um, and so it's really good. And, and then actually having legit real relationships well that's the thing too you know everyone like la has this huge culture of like network 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 and it's Mm -hmm. like i hate the concept of networking because networking always has this connotation of of like that you're trying to get something from someone that you're like i need to network because i i need this relationship and i need 
And ultimately, it comes off really inauthentic, and and it's not really fun for anyone. Well, this um, fucking move that we've been noticing for the past few weeks, where people are talking like this, and they're just looking at the fucking door while oh, having a conversation. Yes. Yes. It drives me insane. It's a very LA thing. Not to dish LA, dis LA people, but like it is a, ve- it's something that you don't come across in the East coast. I don't nope. think, nope. um, because East, East coast people are direct in a way that I like where like, if someone doesn't like you, like you're going to know it, <laughs> you know, like, like people, not that people are going to be rude, but like people are not going to like suck up to you. Exactly. And if they don't like, it's, it's a, an authenticity thing. Um, and so I think, you know, creating relationships is great, but only if it comes from an authentic place. And you, you said a point earlier that's interesting. You ultimately need to respect this. You ultimately want to hang out with this person because you're interested in them as a fucking human. Right. Like, like that's a big for, part if, of it. Because if it's for the connection, like it sucks for them because yeah. they can feel the inauthentic, inauthenticity. There's that word. But, yeah. <laughs> but it also sucks for the act person who's doing that because it's not fun if no. you're not like genuinely curious about that person and their life and what they're doing um so i think you know los angeles is full of creative people i mean yeah. you're gonna meet people if you're an actor and, and you're hustling you're gonna meet actors and producers and writers and directors and if you have a genuine like connection with someone then that that's someone who it's worth Mm-hmm. Like keeping in contact with and and seeing what they're up to and checking in from time to time, um, and if you don't, you don't, and that's totally fine too. And I also hate I hate I've only been here for a few weeks, and I'm now I find myself when people ask me what I do, I'm almost ashamed of it. Where I'm just to like, say, yes, I'm like okay, so because every is it because everyone says every, it d- all the time. L A is full of directors, homeless. Yep. You know what I mean? Like this, <laughs> this so, you just know that when you're in. I'm no matter where I have been for lunch, there has been somebody sitting next to me talking about whatever they're fucking filming. Always. Always. And it's the worst. And it like I don't blame people that they hate when you're like, I'm an actor director. Cause I hate it too. Like yeah. like even like dating out here, it's like oh, a nightmare. You I, don't, if you I, don't wanna, I don't have to damn Yeah, it, I know. Oh, lucky you. Um Well Gina doesn't know this yet, but, but I'm back on the market, everybody. <laughs> 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 But it's true because no one really, like, there's nothing worse. Like, I have a lot of friends who just won't even say that they're an actor because they're embarrassed to say it because there's not a level of, like, legitimacy to that claim, right? Exactly. Because anyone can say they're they're an actor. Anyone can say they're a director. Um, you know, it, it, and it feels like even if you know it's not all talk because you have a genuine career, you worry that, that that's how it's. Can, can come off. But the thing that's really interesting about this is that I've found that because everybody kind of feels this way, mm. it's an easy way to get into conversations if, is if you do have that other passion. So if you do have that other hobby, if you do have that totally. other thing, and that's, the, that's how you lead. I, but, I completely agree because I think, you know, especially being an actor, like no one really cares about you if you're an actor like not that no one cares but i mean they don't on, care guys. about your fucking process we all know. They no don't, one they don't, yeah they, no like, one really cares about yeah, us yeah. um and especially when you're starting out i mean if you're if you're a meryl streep level genius then then okay uh people care but but i think there's something really attractive about people who have multiple things going on in their life and i found now that a huge part of my life is writing and, and directing and producing um people are actually attracted to that energy more because mm-hmm. it's not 
I think actors can have this sort of air of desperation mm-hmm. uh, where it's like, oh, they're always looking for a job. Uh, whereas if you, you know, if you're working on your own projects, if you're if you're writing, if you're directing, um, in addition to to that, uh, people are a little excited about that in a, in a different way. Um, and then also, like you were saying with hobbies, like just being a genuine person who has interests outside of the industry. Passion. Is so important. Passion. Because ultimately, like, I, a ton of my friends are actors. I would say almost all my friends out here are actors um, or creatives of some type. And we love to talk about the, the craft of, well, not the craft of, I guess we love to talk about, you know, sort yeah, of auditions and what you're up to. Sure. But, but like, that's your group. That's the, the, right. Those are your people that you have. Right. Exactly. But I also think, you know, like, as much as we love to talk about about the industry stuff, it's also nice to just talk about like stuff that's completely unrelated, mm-hmm. um, because that's that's when you connect with people, really. I mm-hmm. think. Um, and if I'm hanging out with friends, like going roller skating at Moonlight Rollerway, which I've been <laughs> raving about, it's like my third time bringing it up to Mike. How awesome it is! Um, you bring it up to the guy <laughs> who cracked his skull open when ice skating. What? Yeah, you've heard okay, that okay, story. Okay, first of all, I haven't heard that story. Oh my God, I, I don't want to have to tell this story again. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair though, ice skating is a whole different ballgame. Okay. I don't have a death wish. Oh, we'll I'm see. not going ice skating. Well, I was, Gina, Gina made me do it. So. <laughs> Blame Gina. She's not in the room. She can't defend herself. Very nice. Um, um, but, but, you know, if we're going roller skating, we just want to like be normal and talk about like our relationships and our families and, yeah, yeah. and stupid stuff that we're doing as well. well. All right. So what, um, what, what's your hobbies right now? What do you like doing besides directing and all that stuff? You're talking a sweet game. Good, I know, you're talking a I'm sweet talking, game. Now you're going to get into it. Now you're going to really, uh-huh. really catch me in that, in that uh-huh. lie. Um, no, I mean, I, it's, it's tough because I feel like for me, like writing isn't a hobby, but it's not what I consider like my hustles. So, of course. So I think, uh, I mean now actually that's sort of changed as of late, but, but I would say, you know, when I moved out here, for example, acting was like my thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think hobby wise, I love writing. I love getting together with friends and writing, even if it's not in a, a formal, um, like trying to write a screenplay, just like yeah. writing poetry or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or just um, throwing ideas around of like funny concepts. Um, I do that with, cause I have a, a lot of friends that are just great writers in general. Um, and then I like, we live in such a freaking beautiful uh, state. It's crazy. Um, I mean, listen, you know how I feel. I love the East coast. <laughs> I love the East coast and I miss it every day. But I'm starting to appreciate that there are good qualities. Can you hear me convincing myself Uh as I say this? Good qualities of the West Coast as well. And I think uh, one of those uh, major qualities are like the mountains and the freaking crazy ass poppy fields. Yeah. Um, And I'm also, I love photography in a very amateur way, not not in a pursuing it as a career type of way. but I have a lot of friends who, who love it as well and just going to, to places like that and taking photos and, mm-hmm. and messing around. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and I mean, if you listen to the show, you know that I'm a food fucking nerd. So yes. the food out here is just like... The food is amazing. Um, and it's different food. So it's like being East Coast, being Italian. It's East Coast is very Italian. East Coast has all that sort of oh, stuff. Oh, I miss the Italian yeah, food. Yeah, totally. I, I went and I had Italian food the other night and it cost... 
Jesus Christ. Does it cost so much money? So much it's fucking so money. It's so expensive out here. There's there's a great uh, Italian place at Hollywood and Highland, but I only go there if it's uh, with one of my parents who's in town. If you want I know they're going to treat me to a nice you come, meal. Come by my... I'll do, <laughs> I'll do Italian. Because... I feel like I'm just going to open up like my own little pop-up restaurant please, here because, please. because it's, it's ridiculous. Like the amount of money, I, where did we go? We went, I don't even know. It was a West Hollywood somewhere. And we went to this Italian place and the menu was like a mediocre sort of Italian menu that you would see in, in the East Coast. And it was mm. like, cool. So you've got, oh, you wrote Parpadali on here. And you go, oh, cool. And you called it fungi instead of mushroom. Mm. Great. All that. And so I literally ordered uh, a small L.A. portion uh, of, yes. of pasta. Yep. And I had two glasses of red wine and an appetizer. And my tab was like 70 bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, this is fucking pasta. It's so expensive. It's flour, egg, and water. <laughs> That's what that is. And you guys literally took you mushrooms. You should have stayed home and put some water on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what you learn to do. I just always have Penny in my apartment <laughs> at all times. Oh um, my god! It's true. It's true, though. It but, is very. But expensive. but 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 the Thai food out here, I've never had Thai food the I've way. Actually, I've... never had Thai food. Oh my! God. I'm exposing myself. I eat like an eight-year-old boy. Most what do you of the time. What do you eat? Italian food. Okay. I like Chicken. how you lead with that. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, we're on the topic, you know. Um, big lover of pasta. Big lover of mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Chicken nuggets. So you eat like a fucking so waffle you, fries. So when the menu comes out, you're More looking at the nuggets. kid. You're looking at the kids' yes. menu section, and it's becoming a little um, unacceptable. I've noticed to like do that now you're because you're grown like, up. Now. Co- <laughs> okay, <laughs> see, this is why I didn't want to turn 19 because 18, like you're a fresh adult, and so it's kind of acceptable. I ordered something at this restaurant, and the waitress, first of all knew that I was ordering for myself. Like, you know, you can tell. You can <laughs> yeah, because you don't have a child with and she, you. No, but she says, she's like, is this for your child? And I was like, no. I was like, first of all, I would have to be like 12 when I gave birth. No, it's for me. Um, but it's very, like, it's very inacceptable. Uh, inacceptable. I invented yes. a new word. Yes. It's very unacceptable. So I'm... I'm trying. I'm trying. Are you? Is it just your taste palate? Like, does yeah. anybody in your family cook? Or, no. Okay. Well, okay. My brother is amazing. Yeah. He cooks. He's a great cook, and he's actually studying to become a sommelier. Well, there you go. So he is. He's a master. Um, and so you don't like cooking. I've never really done it, really. I mean, my parents never cooked growing up. Like, people ask me, like, "Oh, what meals are you nostalgic for?" And I'm like takeout Uh um an occasional like bagel bite that really makes me think of my childhood Uh um so cooking just like wasn't a culture at all in my house um we were we were on the go all the time i've cooked i cooked a real meal once what'd you make i made coco vin because what is coco vin it's a french dish where you take all different uh, like parts of the chicken and oh, okay. and it's sort of almost like you create a broth with it and, and is it and like vegetables. braised is it like a like a like a long cooking process yes okay yes and um i made that because i was like at the end of my freshman year really heavily considering studying abroad in france <laughs> and i was like this will convince my parents <laughs> so i spent one saturday like making this elaborate meal um, never, I still have not gone to France. 
full disclosure. But um, but it was, you know, it was good. But I see my problem is I I feel like I haven't gotten to the point where I have fun with cooking. Like I've never had like a fun. Do you have experience. a Do you have a nice kitchen? I mean, I have a fine kitchen. I have a. Do you have a space that you can cook in? Do yes, you have yes, stuff? yes, okay, yeah, yeah. Checking. I have, yeah, I have like a. I'm in a studio, so I have like a okay. oven and all that stuff. Um, but my problem is, <laughs> I have a fancy thing called an oven. You guys, my, uh-huh. <laughs> living the actor high life out here. Um, my problem is that I. I'm so like impatient because the process of cooking in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's going to take me like two hours and then it's going to take me so long to clean up. And like, I could be spending that time like writing something. All right. Or, like, all right. Look, 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 I'm going to interrupt you with all, <laughs> with all your bad excuses. Um, here's why I like to do it. Okay. Um, for me, it I get the same satisfaction that I do when I'm making a movie, but I get it on a smaller timeline. That's high praise, Mike. Seriously. So basically, with cooking, when you're making it, with movies, when you're making a movie, I'm controlling your senses. I'm controlling how you're processing the world. Mm. I'm hopefully controlling your emotions as you watch this thing, the whole thing. The same thing happens with cooking, but on a smaller scale. So like if you, I have to cook for you. You come over and you'll see what I like to do is when I'm cooking in the kitchen or if I'm grilling, you're in there the whole time. Mm. So you're with it the whole time. If there's wine involved, if there's snacks involved, you're trying stuff out. And oftentimes you're in the process. Like Gina had her big birthday last year and she wanted to have a pizza party. That's so fun. And she had like a bunch of people that I had never met before coming to this pizza party, right? And so what I said was, I'll do it for you. And I made 18 pizzas that day. But what I did was I had it set up where people that I didn't know, I'd randomly go, make a pizza with me. And so someone would come Aww. over and go through the process. And so then you get to really meet this person, get to know this person. They, they get to taste the food. They get to be a part of that food. Yeah. And then together you're building this thing. And then when you're done, you eat it. And if you do it the right way and if the flavors are right, you have a really great emotional response. And I think a lot of people are afraid to start cooking because they're afraid of if they're cooking for somebody else, they're afraid of how they're going to think of them based upon how that meal tastes, mm. which is the same thing with acting. It's the same thing with directing. It's the same thing with all that stuff. Right. And so um, what I like to do, especially if I'm doing a project and I haven't worked with people, if I'm working with people that don't speak my fucking language, or if I've, I've done documentaries with street gangs and kids and all that kind of stuff, mm. food is the binding element. Food is the one way to just drop all borders with stuff. And so I just had a meeting last week with a producer that I wanted to hang out with. And I was just coming to my house. He came to the house. We made sandwiches together and sat on the front porch. Didn't talk about the business at all until the end. Literally just ate sandwiches. And that was the whole process with it. And yeah. so that, there's something really beautiful about food because you need it. Yeah, it's true. You do need it. So the I way think, I think you, you need you to just, come over. You just and I think described we need to, like a cinematic journey for me. And I was just like, I don't know if you saw, I like slowly leaned yes, forward. Of course. Like, <laughs> you should come over. We'll do a food thing. We'll have you come over to one of the grill things, the barbecue things. All right. I'm down. And you'll I'll see. have a little cooking lesson. You bring some folks and you'll just see like, it's just, and you, you don't have to get, here's the thing. You don't have to get crazy. You want to blow someone's socks off. Here's the best way to do it. Right. Here's all you get. Here's all you get to buy. Here's, okay. here's all you get to buy. Bread. Oh. 
peanut butter and jelly. Seriously. What? Seriously. If you Well, I do make those things. If you were sitting across someone that you want to impress, right? This is how I do I'm kind of a psychopath with this. This is how I do it. I like to <laughs> stay with me. Stay with me. Everybody at home is like, this is what Mike does. He starts to talk about fucking food and it isn't about it isn't about filming anymore. So what I like to do is I will freeze my bread. So I'll freeze the bread. Okay. Right? And then you have to jam. I don't like the jam in the fridge because or, or the peanut butter in the fridge because it gets too fucking hard and it's hard yeah, to spread yeah, and all that no. kind of stuff. But I'm just gonna do a simple sandwich. You ask somebody you want a sandwich. They go, yeah, cool. Sit down, relax, have a drink, and you take it out. And then you literally take your fucking time and you spread the peanut butter to every corner of that bread. And you spread the jam to every corner of that bread. And you take your sweet ass time with it and you talk to them about life or whatever the fuck it is you're talking about. And then you just take your time cutting it and you serve them that sandwich. That is the best fucking sandwich that I've ever had. Not because you're using the best ingredients in the world. Not because you're doing anything. It's just because physically you're putting your love and your time and your effort into just making sure that every piece of that bread is covered with those coverings. That, uh, <laughs> that, that it's a great sandwich. And I think if you can do something that simple, it doesn't have to be peanut butter and jelly. It could be anything. It could be fucking pizza rolls. But if you're going through the process of doing it like that and you're having that person be a part of it, then you'll get the hook. It's made with love. Then you get it. Wow. Mike just taught me how to reel them in. <laughs> <laughs> now I know my technique for you, my next date. You, or you <laughs> use it when you're casting. You could. I, I like you how have a casting director yes, over. Yes. Make I like them how, a I like peanut how you butter and jelly sandwich. You took my life lesson. You're like, this is how I'm going to find a fucking man. <laughs> <laughs> I um, like that. Next casting office I go to, I'm just going to whip out my <laughs> <laughs> just like on the casting table, clear would, a little space You for would myself. blow their mind. And you know something else too, now that we're talking about that, my favorite scenes in movies are food scenes. Mm, that's interesting. Wait, scenes where people make or eat food or both? Both. Mm. And... Think and about, for the actor, they're like, fuck you, Mike, because I had to eat so much. But also it gives you something to do. That's true. Yes, I think that activity is so helpful yeah. in the scene. And it's it's a it's an identifiable thing. So like as an audience, you're sitting there going, Mm-hmm. I want to see what they're making. I want to eat that thing. I also I also eat. I also do that stuff. Mm. And think about um Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. When Bill makes her a fucking sandwich and mm. how he lays the sandwich meat out and how he does that whole process of making a sandwich. Or think of uh, Chef with John Favreau. Have you ever see that movie? I haven't seen that. You should watch it. Amazing. About him owning a food truck and how he makes food for people. He has all these amazing food scenes in all his films. His old movie, Made, he makes uh, this little girl in the movie uh, pasta putinesca. And he actually goes through the process of telling her it's bad girl's pasta. And he makes this thing. Amazing sequence. So like food sequences are some of my favorite sequences in movies, period. Wow. Because it's the fastest thing that you can connect to an audience. Yeah, that's very true. Actually, food is such a shared experience. You're right. And it's an emotional experience. And then if you're mm-hmm. connecting that, that's what I always liked about Anthony Bourdain's show. You ever watch any of his stuff, like No, no Reservations and stuff? I keep forgetting how young you are, man. I, I know. Mean, this See, is like, this I'm, is like fucking I'm five really, years ago. Like, I'm really... <laughs> 
<laughs> he just died I'm, recently. But. See, I'm very knowledgeable about a specific <laughs> genre of indie film between the years 2007 and 2019. <laughs> Grill me on Andrea Arnold's or Sean Baker, and I got you, but <laughs> well, I'm not very knowledgeable in the classics. They're not the cl- it's, my right. down, it's my downfall. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, any movie made before the year 2000. Well, you just haven't had the hours to put in yet. You, That's you're true. You're still clocking in time. Hour you're still clocking in time, man. You know what's the best part about being, not the best part, a very good part about being an actor or director is that you can watch great movies mm-hmm. and technically it's like studying it's a tax write-off <laughs> it's, a tax. <laughs> it's a tax it's a tax write-off at that point comic books and movies tax seriously write-offs. though i yeah. mean anyone else who's like a normal person they spend the whole day watching movies and people are like dude like you didn't do anything today we spend a whole day watching movies and my mom's like that's amazing mm-hmm. you were studying all day long mm-hmm. and it's true mm-hmm. um well this has been good what I'd like to do, actually, we'll have you stick around a little bit because I want to do some extra content if we cool. could. But yeah. I think this is a good spot to end this episode. We've done pretty good. We're about an hour and a half in. So it's been Woo-hoo. a good one. Yeah. Um, this is usually the part of the show where I allow um, the guests to give a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of wisdom to the folks that are out there. And uh, what would you, uh, oh if you goodness. had advice for somebody who wanted to put together a film Mm. with uh, young actors because you've done a lot of time with young actors like how how what do you how do you think an older director what is an what is a way or a technique that an older director can use to sort of connect with a child so i think uh with child actors specifically I think it is one of those aha moments, usually, at least for me, uh, whenever I've cast a child actor. uh, Kids are incredibly emotionally vulnerable all the time, right? Because as actors, we sort of break ourselves down and and get to this emotional place uh, in order to produce for a role. But kids are already there because society has not yet fully programmed them to (laughs) sort of repress everything that they feel. And so their emotions are right there Mm -hmm. at service level all the time. That's why you see a kid who like his mom tells him no, and he bursts out crying. (laughs) Um, So, so I think there's something super, super magical about kid actors. And I think, especially if you can find those kid actors who are not performative at all, Mm -hmm. um, which is why I prefer to work with kid actors who are, very early on in their journey, not who have been like working forever or doing a ton of commercial work, uh, where it's sort of taught to them to be performative and and be a certain way. I really just want a kid who's going to play and be a kid. And, and my, the biggest thing I think is getting them used to being themselves or, or just being natural with a camera in the room. Um, but that like naturalistic tendency is already there. Um, and I think the biggest thing is is spending time with that kid uh, and, and getting to know them and, and getting them to feel safe and comfortable with you. Because, you know, if you're seven years old and you've got this, like, 50-year-old or 70-year-old Dude, director, scary dude with a fucking beard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. if you have mice. <laughs> no, but, like, seriously, if you have anyone, I mean, even me, um, like, obviously, I do think... 
I, I, you know, I look younger and I have a youthful energy with kids, but, but still, I mean, if you're seven to them, I'm, I'm basically, I'm an adult. Yeah. And, um, so I think it's really, you know, when I worked on this last film, I spent, we had a whole rehearsal day before we started filming and that rehearsal day wasn't about rehearsing. It was about spending three hours playing with the kids Mm -hmm. and learning like, okay, well, you know, the two year old really likes to do this and she really responds to this. And the, the seven year old is sort of, this is where she's at in terms of what she likes to talk about and what her, what her interests are. Um, and what the, what else they have going on in their lives, what their hobbies are and what you can sort of connect on. You like soccer. Oh, I love soccer. What position do you play? Um, because as a kid, you know, it's actors are there to do a job, Mm -hmm. but when you're five years old, you're not there to do a job. I mean, yes, you are, but you don't, you can't really conceptualize what that's about. Um, I don't think the two-year-old even understood that this was a movie. I mean, she, she was just there playing and, and being, being herself. So I think, uh, the, the biggest advice I would have is is that it's your job as a director to get to know intimately get to know the kid actors so that they feel safe and comfortable to be doing that kind of work with you so yeah that's that's Maggie man I told you guys that uh, she was cool as shit right I mean just in my conversation sitting across from her you forget how young she is. <laughs> uh, you feel like you're talking to like a seasoned uh, filmmaker, honestly, a seasoned actress. And uh, she's been at it since she was like fucking four. Jesus. I cannot imagine it. You know, I cannot imagine that. And the insight that she has in working with, with child actors, and young kids, because she was one herself, but also because of where her family comes from in the training, it's invaluable. Uh, she's very talented and she's got that dark edge. She's got that look in there, which I think is fascinating. That's why I like to have her on screen. Um, I hope you guys liked this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed everything on our 50th. Um, and like I said, I got a bunch of shit coming. I got some good episodes coming. I don't want to talk about who they are because I haven't put them down on tape yet, but I've got some people booked. I've got some lines out there. Um, and I'm just going to try to get it so that I have enough of a cue that I could do this show weekly. My goal is to have the show release on Tuesdays. Would you guys like that? Say yes. You know, write to me. If you like this fucking show, I'm going to put some graphics up. If you like this show, share these graphics. Tell people that you like the show. Share clips online. Talk about it. Let me know. If anything, just so I know you're out there and you're listening, man. <laughs> Uh, cause I need that shit. I need some attention. I need you guys to tell me, Hey Mike, you're doing a good job. And the best way to do so is do it on my Instagram account. Go to at Mike Petchy on Instagram right now I'm public cause I'm trying to get verified. I don't know if you guys know this shit, but the whole process of getting verified on Instagram, it's like fucking Illuminati shit. It's insane. The stuff that you got to go through to get verified on Instagram, unless you're somebody that has that agent that has those connections. Um, it's a fucking process. Uh, and I have to be public. So that's why I'm public for a little while. And if they refuse my verification this time, they can go fuck themselves and I'm going back to being private again. So, uh, yeah, follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram, or you can follow in love with the process pod on Instagram, uh, two great places to give me feedback. 
Uh, tell me who you want on the show now that I'm out here. Who would you like to hear me uh, drink beers with? Who would you like to hear me uh, eat sandwiches with? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do that. And uh, my goal is to get this show to uh, start fil- like start filming the show. So working on that, trying to get a couple new sponsors to make that happen. Because it's going to cost more money. But it'll be good. I think you guys would like to see what we're doing. Um, so yeah, that's it, man. Once again, listen to the uh, Code Electro track that's going in the background here. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah, dude kills it, right? Super happy to have him on the show, too. Super happy to have you guys on the show. Um, And thanks for subscribing. And if you haven't done so yet, if this is the first episode you've listened to, subscribe to us. You'll find us on YouTube. You'll find us on SoundCloud. If if there's a player out there or a channel out there that you want us on, listen to this 40-year-old. There's a channel out there. If there's some sort of delivery system that you want to listen to this show on that's not on, let me know, and I'll try to hook it up. Um, but yeah, that's it. Love you guys. Thanks to all the new listeners on the show. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks, guys. <laughs>